0: There's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girls' night, we have to get our fix. And that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or a dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's Kelly'sKillerPopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoke Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium, handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Psst, guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mmm, mm, mm, some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out SmokedBros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this episode of the Video Archives Podcast... Former Video Archives employee and director of operations at the New Beverly Cinema, Unruly Julie, joins Quentin and Roger in the store for a three movie employee special. First off the shelves, the flying monster itself, Rodan. Born from a volcanic crater, the crimson monster bird Rodan tramples the earth. To begin, Quentin gives us background on Ishiro Honda's genre-inspiring career and lets us know just how important this director is to cinema. Then, we're on to discussing the hand of man, the artistry and the amazing special effects, and the poetry and tragic nature of this tale. Next up, he played the most dangerous game in Europe, and he played it alone. Quentin, Roger, and Julie go undercover in The Quiller Memorandum. After two British secret intelligence service agents are murdered at the hands of the Phoenix, Agent Quiller is sent to Berlin to investigate. Taped from the Fox channel, the gang was able to watch this movie widescreen. We discussed George Segal's performance, the underlying subtext from the director, and just how good the final scene is. Try my brand of cigarettes. You just might like them. And lastly, a movie that has me scratching my head. What the heck is treachery and greed on the Planet of the Apes doing on here? I knew that we'd be watching an ape movie because Julie was here, but what is this? I've never even heard of this movie. Well, the other employees will have to fill you in, because I only know one thing. a good, human bad. I'm Gala Avery, and joining us now, here's Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery.
1: And thank you, Gala. This is Quentin Tarantino, and this is the Video Archives Podcast. Sitting across from me is Roger Avery. And we have a very special guest on the episode. Uh, uh, hold on. Wind that back. Sorry. I was going to qualify. <laughs> was gonna,
0: that's not an alarm one yet. Okay, okay.
1: She is a guest on this show, on this episode, but she is not a customer as all the other guests have been. No. Customers. She is a employee, a former employee, as we all were. It is Julie McLean.
2: Julie,
3: unruly Julie to me. Uh, yeah.
2: Unruly Julie McLean in the house. We're going to have some fire today, y'all. I'm bringing it. A redhead, feisty. Let's go. Absolutely, <laughs> Julie. Things haven't changed at all. <laughs> <They have> not. <laughs> well, Quentin dubbed me unruly Julie McLean. That's how I got. That's how that she name. got the, That's he, how she that's got, how the I got that name. I, I, oh, my goodness. I'm so excited.
1: Well, the thing is, Julie is uh, the uh, general manager of uh, the New Beverly Cinema. She's been working at the New Beverly Cinema since I handed the keys and the calendar off to her, all right, so many years ago. And she uh, made the cinema uh, what it is today. It's one of the, the coolest uh, cinemas and one of the highest-grossing uh, independent cinemas in um, in America. Wow. Yes. Uh, um and we've actually been having a red letter year this whole like year and last year as well. Uh, but now, but even more important than all that New barley shenanigans stuff is Julie started out first as one of those cool customers uh, that used to come into video archives and would sit down and we would talk about movies. And then actually me and Julie started going to movies together because we really had uh, had similar tastes. And then fairly shortly julie was working there and she and so so tell us about your video archives experience working at the store how you got there all that stuff
2: well, we had a common friend, Stevo, who worked at uh, Video Archives, and I knew yeah. him through my Licorice Pizza days. Because yeah. his girlfriend Polly would still work there, and mm-hmm. he'd come and bring her lunch all the time, and we'd just sit there and we'd There was talk a gigantic movies. Licorice
1: Pizza connection, like yeah, a good was, half it was of the people right across
2: the street from
1: yeah. us. If you didn't come from Video Outtakes, you came from Licorice Pizza. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, man, it's cool. Yeah. Including
1: um, Julie, you were running on your mom's account, right?
2: I was running on my mom's account, mm-hmm. and. Steveo then set me up from my own account, mm-hmm. for which you know I got free videos. You know <laughs> what can we say? Like I'm like, oh hey man, this is cool if it's free, it's for me. I'm there. Mm-hmm. And is that because you
3: guys used to work together? So he's like, I'm yeah, hooking yeah. you up. Yeah. Oh yeah oh, yeah yeah That was by yeah. the
2: way a, a
3: perfectly acceptable thing to do at our store. Yeah. It's like if for oh, wait no yeah. that's a courtesy like, pass.
1: pass. She's a, she yeah. works. At, she works at the yeah. uh, licorice pizza's it's, its own video company. Yeah yeah. Courtesy pass.
2: Um. It's also interesting because I was thinking about it a little bit, and I'm like, you know, when people go, oh, those are the best years of my life. Well, I'm not going to say that because I'm pretty happy with my life right now. <laughs> but I will say, video archives is a darn good stretch. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is because of the people, like lifelong friends I've met. Quentin, mm-hmm. we're lifelong friends yeah, for yeah. decades. Absolutely. Roger, true. when I saw you the other, it's just like, well, when I saw you at a, the New bevel a year yeah. ago, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's Roger. And it was just like picked up, you know. My friend Laura Rush, r- mm. best friend, y- yeah. you know what I mean? Stevo, who's not here anymore, but we mm-hmm. continued our friendship. Yeah, so absolutely. it's really, really cool. And I can see the correlations between the mm-hmm. new Beverly and video archives. Yeah, in that absolutely. Aspect. Well, so, they,
1: they, they absolutely go. Uh,
2: absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's just people. It's a
1: continuation of that vibe.
2: Yes. You know, we're people that love fucking movies. We're gonna hang out yeah. and talk about movies. We're gonna watch movies. Quentin, in the video archives heydays, on our days off on a Friday, we go up to Westwood, we'd see three movies in a row. Oh, yeah. You know what I like? I don't, you know, it's hard to see three movies in a row now. I, I yeah, did yeah. it the other day, but um,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, I don't think it was the, the first time we went to the movies, this one when you were still a customer. I don't remember the first time what we saw, but I remember the second time we went to the movies, we saw Ron we saw kurosawa's ron
2: yeah the first thing that we saw was the um chet baker documentary oh that uh, was the first that makes sense Uh, uh, yeah let's get lost let's get lost yes yes that was the first one and then we saw kurosawa's ron
1: yeah that was our second movie to get the the new
2: art actually yeah yeah, so uh so we had to drive up from the south bay you had to make an effort sometimes to see movies and that was not a problem
1: okay so but uh, how did you go from uh being a, a cool customer to actually working there
2: well i um i quit licorice pizza because um God, i forget the there's some corporation out of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. like Music World or Musicland or something. It might have been Musicland. They mm-hmm. took over. It got a little too corporate for me. And I, I don't know but if you noticed But you went to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> but it's were, not really my vibe. But you were, sort of, you were sort of
1: their troubleshooter, weren't you? You were one of their troubleshooter I, managers when they having a problem at a store I they was send
2: really, Julie. Yes, I was really good at um, and I think because my grandpa what, what was a police officer, I was really good at loss prevention. Mm-hmm. So I would like be able they would send me to these stores and they're, like are we're losing tons of merchandise and everything. Like, figure out who it is, and inevitably, I would figure oh, like out the who it was. i the snitch. You're like the I'd, narc. Listen, I feel like You know, I feel up more. She like represented like the company, man. Sam Spade, man. Yeah. or yeah. Philip Marlowe. Yeah. I was like the detective. Yeah. I really, I dug that. She's so. not the snitch. She broke the case. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to steal. Yeah. So you know. So did you
3: actually like do a couple of big busts? At Um, at these various licorice pizza stores? I didn't get to do,
2: but I would have to then, they had a whole loss prevention manager. So once I figured out what was going on and I had a pretty good idea, then I would tell him and he would come in and do the bust. But I was so good at my job that I don't remember his name, but he gave me one of his old police bat he's all like, mm-hmm. you have helped us somewhere. I am going to give you, it was like in this like leather, you know, oh, cover yeah. and stuff. Uh-huh. And he'd flip it open and I probably still have it someplace, but it was really Keep cool. Keep that like, in your car. Badge. Yeah. Well, Put it yeah, on your dashboard gotcha, whenever yeah. you get pulled over. I'm a mouthy, you know what? So I usually mm-hmm. get in trouble with the uh, our friends. Although I, I, you know, respect for everybody, but um, mm-hmm. I just, it, it just didn't so feel he- right anymore. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to change and. Like, Steve was, oh, you should always come work. You come work here. You know, you hang out with Quentin. Just get the vibe. You know everybody. And mm-hmm. and it was just, I don't I even know how I, like, but yeah. who I talk to or anything. All of a sudden, I was just mm-hmm. like, I'll work in there. <laughs>
1: but was it was it like one of those, uh, that for the first month you're working on weekends and everything, and then uh, then pretty soon you're just, no, no, you're you're doing full shifts?
2: I think I was pretty much full shifts because mm-hmm. at the time I was going to Cal State Long Beach, too. So mm-hmm. I needed to yeah. have some money to see movies, yeah. pay for tuition. I know the parents did that, thankfully, Ugh. but oh, I did God pay for bless. my, uh, you know, my house that I rented with uh, four Norwegian men who were. Even though I was gay, wow, I'm gay, wow, that's I'm still a great gay. story. In itself. I, uh, it was like great. I can I can appreciate <laughs> beauty in any form. So I'm like, oh my god, this is great. <laughs> so like, like living with Vikings. Li- yeah. I was literally living with Vikings, and we had this like pool table and we'd always be playing pool or we'd be, they were very sporty. We'd go play golf. It's the only time Mm -hmm. I'd get up in my college days um, Uh early is to go play golf with one of, you know, one of the guys. But
1: now you were, uh, but you ended up working, I think off and on from time to time, but uh, uh, you ended up working at uh, archives for like what, six years or something, right? Yeah,
2: I was there. You were right to the. You were right Almost. to. The, oh yeah. you very, survived
3: yeah. the transition to the oh, yeah. uh, Hermosa, went to Hermosa Beach, Hermosa Store. Beach. What yeah.
2: a, you know, if you don't have parking, folks, you know, you're gonna. This is not good. Um, yeah,
3: it all it all fell apart when the move went to Hermosa yeah. across yeah. from the Cove Theater, or mm-hmm. was it the Bijou by then? It was the Bijou,
2: then. No, it was then. the Bijou by then. Yeah, I, I left maybe two or three months. I saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. This is this is terrible and mm-hmm. interesting though. It hasn't come full circle, but hey, we are here. Like, yep. if you would have asked us then, decades ago, if we'd be sitting, we didn't even know podcasts existed then. But mm-hmm. we'd be even be reminiscing mm-hmm. about the good old days of archives, actually, in front of you know hundreds of thousands of listeners now. So, you, know, <laughs> you know, that's it a euphemism,
1: but one of the things I remember actually about uh, so, so Julie had a. Uh, a dynamic. She was part of a dynamic duo. She was really good friends with this girl, uh, Laura Rush. There was another another cool customer that became uh, another uh, redhead. Uh, yeah, yeah another redhead. Yeah, they were the two reds. All right, uh, they became uh, best buddies, and I remember they started a magazine company.
2: Oh my god! I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I thought it was such a great idea. Yeah, it was because like, like yeah, because yeah. yeah, magazines, ma- cool. let's let's magazines. magazines are cool. You know, magazines are
1: cool. Yes, let's sell magazines. Yeah. And so, like, she asked Lance, "Can we start a magazine entrepreneurial? Can we do a magazine company and do- sell magazines in the store? And then, and then, that'll be their their side of the business." Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah no, it it did well for a little bit, and uh-huh. and then it didn't. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I think uh, once Video Archives downsized. In the same location, same strip mall, once it downsized, there wasn't room for the magazines. But I, you know, I like curating things as you do, so like you know, programming wise and stuff like that. So, um, I love the magazines and just love getting the foreign film magazines and stuff like that. So, it's just kind of a cool group. Magazines a go go was the name, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, if you
1: had a if you had a couple of spinner racks, they could have done really well.
2: Oh yeah, was spinner if, you, racks, if you had oh a spinner, if you had a magazine spinner yeah. rack,
1: that would have been a whole different I story. Concur.
4: <laughs> Monster of <laughs> a skyscraper, when he moves, the whole earth quivers and quakes, and an abyss of horror opens up see these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years to devastate mankind nothing can stop him nothing escapes this monstrous beast of evil
0: With co-hit Slithis, or Spawn of the Slithis, depending on who you ask, will be playing for two nights on Monday, May 15th and Tuesday, May 16th on Glorious 35mm at the New Beverly Cinema. Rodan, the first kaiju movie shot in Technicolor, is being shown in jaw-dropping Technicolor. You don't want to miss it. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For tickets and even more information, visit thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema, always on film.
1: So, the first film is Insura Honda's Rodan, And I'm really excited to actually have an Insura Honda film on the show. We've introduced uh, Sergei Corbucci to the audience out there. And I think Insura Honda is one of the great genre, international genre directors of all time. I think there's like, there's Corbucci, then. A little shelf slightly under, there's Mario Bava and there's in Honda. Slightly under that, there's Terrence Fisher. And just keep on going, yeah. keep on going down. Aside from Spielberg, I think he's like the greatest director to specialize in science fiction and to create this science fiction world. He's known for doing Godzilla.
3: He's created a complete universe that mm-hmm. uh, informed all of our childhoods.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's like, you know, there's, there's the Universal Monsters and the Universal Monster films, Dracula, Frankenstein. There's all those guys. Then there's the Toho Monsters. Yeah. You know? And then there's the comic book universes. And then they all just kind of existed together. However, the only one of those universes that was pretty much driven by a directorial hand is in Honda's. And he just kind of, just for a, a, this period of time, he just did one classic after another uh, for Toho Studios. Obviously, he did the very first uh, Godzilla movie. But then when these big giant monster movies, big Kaju movies, became the thing, he he was their director. And their two big directors was, were Insura Honda and Akira Kurosawa. And both of the movies that they made for the studio were extremely expensive. And the Toho monster movies had this thing that the Universal monster movies did not have. And the uh, Hammer did not feel the need. Hammer didn't feel the need that after they hit with uh, Horror Dracula with Christopher Lee, oh, let's make them each bigger and better than the last one. No, no, no. They (laughs) they did the opposite. They run them in the ground. Yeah, (laughs) And Universal, even though I think even (laughs) whatever they consider the worst of the worst of Universals, I still like them all. They're still really fun. But with the Toho and uh, Sarah Honda uh, monster movies, no, everyone had to get bigger and better than the last one. And they, they started working on this gargantuan scale that they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so like you're, you're literally seeing Sarah Honda uh, create this science fiction universe that doesn't exist except for what he shoots and these models that they build and that they execute with both expertise and charm. It's a pure vision of an invented world, probably explored as as much as it's ever been explored before, you know, the Hondaverse, yeah, the Hondaverse from one film after another after an, to you know to such a degree that like oh no, it's easy now, four different characters from four different separate and several Honda films can now all appear together in an, in another movie,
3: so um Quentin. Uh we know that he, obviously he did Godzilla before this, and Rodan is like mm. uh, another mm. character. And this is like Rodan's movie. And then, well, but, a, the, but, the, this but, is their describe first... where he was in his career. Like how many other movies, like where was he when by the time he yeah. made this one?
1: Well, uh Rodan is their first color film. Rodan is their first color uh, and uh boy color. is it. Yeah. Uh where and Sarah coming from. One, he's coming from having done Godzilla, but he's also coming from doing uh uh, a bunch of uh, World War II movies mm. About like Japanese fighters And that was where they figured out All all their special effects Because they did all these plane effects oh. And you know uh, 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 Taking off from aircraft carriers Landing on aircraft carriers Bombing shit Using models Yeah stuff. all using models You know one of his most famous movies Was a movie called uh, uh, I Bomb Pearl Harbor <laughs> <laughs> A big hit in Japan. <laughs> it was a
5: smash. And it's, it's, it,
1: Japanese listeners will know that that's one of the classic war films of all time. But that's where they, that's where him and his team figured out all the special effects. So when it came time to do Godzilla, boom, they were already. And then they created this whole new world that they're learning how to do it. And the canvas is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he just almost seemingly has no, um, no limit you know to what he's able to explore, and some of the films are great, big, terrific monster movies. Godzilla is a great monster movie. Uh, Rodan is a terrific monster movie. Mothra is another great monster movie. I think it's probably his greatest. All right, but then you know even you say that, and then Godzilla versus the Thing or Godzilla versus Mothra, yeah, uh, it's basically just a remake of Mothra with Godzilla, and it might be even a little bit better. <laughs> It's really good. It's really good. Okay. They just added Godzilla to it, but well, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Doesn't matter that it's the exact same movie. But then you have these uh, space adventures that he would do. And in a weird way, Monster Zero is more of a space adventure than just a big giant monster movie. If I had to offer up one Honda film, I think for like serious consideration. It probably wouldn't even be one of the big, epic Gaju films. It would probably be uh, his Attack of the Mushroom People. Hmm. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It's the one that's the creepiest idea. It's like a a Playboy guy. He's got a bunch of rich friends. And they're uh, on this uh, yacht. And they're just chilling out on this yacht on a little vacation, sailing around. And uh, somehow they just get shipwrecked on this island and they're like, okay, what the fuck are we going to do? And then like, then for like a little bit, it almost turns into a Lena Wertmiller movie where there's kind of this weird, like weird division of classes. Mm-hmm. And now that the shit's hit the fan, what are we going to do? But then they find these mushrooms. And so they start eating some of the, you know, they go, oh, don't, don't eat, we don't know if those could be toadstools. They could be poisonous. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. You know? So somebody tries them and they go, Hey, these are really great. Yeah, they are really great. And so now they're all eating the mushrooms and now and now everything's okay cuz they're all eating the mushrooms. <gasps> And it's all really great. <laughs> it's
3: like it's like my college years, <laughs> yeah.
1: And now everyone's just chilling, <laughs> and nobody has any problem with anybody else. And yeah, they're stuck on the island, but now that's not so bad.
3: We got uh, mushrooms. Don't worry uh, about we, we, it. We, there's
1: a lot of mushrooms here. We're all good. We're not. Good. Everything's going to be fine. And what you realize is, the more you eat the mushrooms, the more you turn into a mushroom person until you actually become a mushroom. <laughs> For a while, and then there's like there's becomes a people for a while who try to resist it, but they can't resist it. And um it's a
3: little invasion of the body snatch. It's
1: very much invasion of the body Snatchers, it's just done with like a real with an even more interesting metaphor via <laughs> the mushrooms. Yeah. You know, and the isolation of them just stuck in this thing where like, no, of course you're gonna become part of this island. Anyway, it's just a terrific movie. That sounds awesome. It's yeah, it's absolutely terrific. Um, so where Rodan falls in is uh you know, he still hasn't created uh, uh, Mothra yet. He still hasn't created Ghidra, the three-headed uh, dragon yet. He still hasn't uh, done War of the Gargantuan was, uh, yet. Uh, with him creating Rodan, this is his first step in creating the the, the team oh. that will be the team of the Toho monsters. So again, prefacing that uh, we didn't watch this on video. We watched on a beautiful IB Technicolor a uh, thirty-five millimeter print of Rodan, guys. What did you think?
3: First of all, being having the opportunity of watching your print of the film and having it be an IB Technicolor and having it be a Honda film, which means it has all those resources mm-hmm. at that time period, the scale of the film is so spectacular, and the just the vision of that mining village, yeah, also, yeah. yeah uh-huh and the depth and the amount of extras mm-hmm. and the size of everything, the makeup effects, like everything about the movie is a plus plus. I agree.
2: Yeah. And the special effects blew me away. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. Yeah, a lot, yeah I, so, I, I, you know.
3: I can't stop. I dreamed actually mm-hmm. about the, um, the miniature effects, especially yeah, when yeah. the, yeah. like the, the, uh, the, the parasites. Well, you know how um, Rodan, you know, when he, Beats yeah, his wings. Well, he creates a like cra- a yeah, yeah. creates yeah. like yeah. a nuclear yeah. wind basically. Yeah, he
1: absolutely yeah. creates a nuclear wind. And
3: yeah. and their effects of that nuclear wind are so good. The, yeah, those yeah. little miniatures, and when they break apart, you're looking. It looks like it's made out of like toothpicks. You know, think, it's incredible. You know, look, it's simply like nothing today. Like we see now with uh, you know yeah. digital uh, digital effects we see all sorts of things happening. You know, Buildings getting torn apart and the Avengers style, yeah. you know, scale stuff and transformer style things where you see buildings like disintegrating. Yeah, they, and, they,
1: they 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 fly through a, a skyscraper as yeah. they're fighting through. And it through. explodes yeah, yeah. open. And, and desks and glass. All of that looks great.
3: Blenches, it yeah. all looks great. It doesn't look like this though. It doesn't There's look something like to be said about the hand of man and the artistry put in and the time put into that. And I know that there's a lot of time put into um, digital video effects, but there's just something about the, how tactile it is that when you see it happen, it's breathtaking.
1: I, I, think, I think also there is something about Rodin specifically because these will be in several Honda's set pieces that he'll do for most of his career is the big giant monster showing up at the magnificent Toho Tokyo model set, all right, and then having lay waste to Tokyo in, in, in gigantic ways. He's, he does it again and again and again, as many times as he did it, I kind of think the sequence in Rodin may be his most exquisite. Not that this is ever the goal when it comes to the Toho model effects, but it looks a little more real in Rodin than it looks in the other thing. When the things break up, they break up in a much more realistic uh, way. Again, r- reality is not what you're looking for, but when you get it, in this one, I think that there's just something about the sequence in this movie that's just superlative. The
2: missiles, the tanks firing, oh my the God, sound that effects. sequence where it's just you're buying it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give a shout out yeah, to the special uh, effects guy that yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, that he worked with a lot, which is an Ag Subbarya. Yeah. So So um, just just magnificent.
1: That crazy wild slow motion when they're just b- laying waste to, to Rodan. And uh, yeah, he's like, and just, you know, and it's like, like, almost like Peckinpah slow motion the way yeah. he's just moving his, like, wings and everything.
2: Yeah, or, like, when they, um, Rodan is flying and they, they're they trying to, like, you know, scout oh. him out and stuff. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, oh, oh, they're here. Go, go tell the base and mm-hmm. stuff. And so you, one army guy goes in his little jeep and yeah, he's yeah. going down and they're, oh, Rodan ain't having that. And he mm-hmm. comes and yeah. he flaps his wing. But you see, like, the jeep gets you know, turned over, and then you see, like, little legs, like, you know, yeah, sticking yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. You remember uh-huh. the legs, and they're, like, you yeah. kind of waving, and the jeep, like, hits, like, the, the side of a hill or something. No, it does, like, like, a
4: triple somersault and yes,
2: smashes exactly. into a hill, yeah. yeah. It is so cool. They're, 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 when the bridge breaks. Mm. Oh, oh, the bridge. Oh, wow, my God, yeah. Rodan flies over yeah. the bridge.
3: And when these buildings come apart, like, there's one big warehouse building that kind of blows apart at one mm-hmm. point. You're looking at it, and you're thinking, okay in anything else they would have built the model and knocked it down here it looks like they didn't just build the model they built what was inside of the walls mm-hmm. and they put furniture inside yeah. of it yeah. and they yeah. they put an, there's interiors so that when it rips apart there's there's an inside. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of stuff going on. It's it's the the amount of work mm-hmm. involved in doing that is is absolutely crazy.
2: How cool was the larva too? Because you're like waiting for this monster uh, movie to come out, and you're like, oh, you know Rodan. Like we know what Rodan is, but then just like this larva and those stuff. Your wigs that are yeah 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 like, yeah, and their little eyes like yeah. They're like parasites. it's like
1: fucking little parasites. Right? So cool. Yeah. It's like yeah.
2: there's like two men in that suit making that happen i yeah. just love all like the the suitmation as they yeah. call it well, that's
1: so cool well this you know the scripts for all of his movies are really really cool because like it's never this straightforward thing. Oh, we found this egg and it hatched, and now we got to deal with this like crazy pterodactyl. Or, uh, 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 it's always like a complicated script going on. And there's like, you know, it's a complicated aspect about the way these miners work in this town. And so it's it's never straightforward. It gets around to it. I mean, like Rodan's not even introduced until like.
2: But you're still in the minutes, movie. But yeah, but you're
3: they're like, still oh, you in th- the movie. oh, you think this yeah. monster is bad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just wait till the next. one. What I loved about it was, yeah. um, it it was. Remarkable Reminding me a lot of the Relic, actually. Yeah, 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 you know, they yeah, go in, yeah. they're going down into the mine, and so it was almost like the sewers in the Relic, and you have like uh, kind of this creature yeah, yeah. down there. And I started watching it. I'm like, this is like uh, Peter Hyams almost.
2: I found I, bold letters. I just wrote tragic. It's
3: I, oh, yeah. it's sad. It's the, the movie. So well, tragic. It's, a, it's in a way, it's a love story like the yes. like the newlyweds in the film. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. That's the, the, Rodan <laughs> is also in a way a newlywed, and yeah. he's just just a creature. In the end, I think it's not his happened. fault uh, what happened. It's obviously as according mm-hmm. to the prologue, mm-hmm. man's fault. Yep. <laughs> the
2: once again.
1: I think the final shot of Rodan, Rodan's final oh, moment. Gosh. I think that poetry goes a long way to making this one of like uh Cyril Honda's like top four great movies. Completely. All right. Yeah. It, one, it's just a great monster movie regardless. Now maybe the storyline of uh, of Mothra is more interesting and mm-hmm. there's more to it there but that final stroke that final it's,
3: it's a master stroke how about how that lava looked
4: oh, oh yeah that yeah.
3: beautiful fake lava that they made that looked mm-hmm. better than any contemporary lava I've ever seen yeah it looked amazing
1: and okay and I have to say one of the things this this was pointed out by a friend of mine uh, uh Joe he's a, a editor that Sally used to hire a good friend of Sally's that he would uh, uh uh, hire him just work on some other things uh, about our movie when we, uh, when we needed him, you know, okay, we're tr- working on this sequence, so he'd work on something and I would show him stuff and I was talking to him about Rodan and he goes you know, that scene when the guy, he's got amnesia, he doesn't know what he's seen, and it's just all a big blur and then he sees the egg mm. and then that triggers his flashback Mm. into the cave and and then Joe goes, you know, that actually might be my favorite flashback trigger in the history of cinema. And you watch it and it it might be one of mine now too.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. It's It's just, it's just so
1: seamless. It's so charming. It's just, I mean, that's when you're talking about Honda. that's what you're talking about. You're talking about expertise, science fiction, world building, expertise, Par excellence. You're talking about the greatest special effects of their day, executed by the the, the people who know how to do it. And it's just all backed with charm. Yeah. It's like the the world-building charm of Ensura Honda is just has to be it cannot be denied. It's 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 what it's about.
2: Hearing your love for him and the movies, like mm. if, if you just think like, oh, Japanese monster movies, but no, you just encapsulated what it's about and what Mm -hmm. it means to like so many fans like myself. So it's just that was beautiful.
0: Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out the Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be Anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back, joined by Gala Raquel Avery. Hey, Gala, what did you think of her dad?
0: Hey, okay, so first off, <laughs> Julie, I'm so happy that you're here on the podcast. Really? I've been waiting
2: oh, all season. Thank you. All season, I've been saying. She actually has
1: been saying, when's Julie coming?
5: When oh, is Julie, really
2: Julie coming? <laughs> well, I need... you tease me about it, and then I occasionally email. I just want to say that, you know, listening to some of the episodes, I, your good dad, Roger, you. I thank you thank had you. mentioned something about being a massive boy Bud Bettecker fan. And I am like, oh, yes, girl. Like, you had me right there. Actually, Quentin had Bud up before he passed away Mm -hmm. and right when I kind of started being his assistant. Mm -hmm. And it's probably still my favorite person that I've met Oh, Over the years was Bud Bedeker. Yeah, he, was he was a good guy, and you could learn a lot. He he didn't care. He just would sit there and answer all my stupid questions. Mm-hmm. So you know, okay, that's but, but that's, that's cool. So you're to hear. you're I love that. super
0: cool. Oh, okay, well, to not, like Bud. Bedeker. We, but, Bud Bedeker did
1: watch a couple of movies in my
0: theater. Yes, right? he did. Yes, yeah, Bud. <laughs> yeah, I'm super
3: excited to say that Gala is way cooler than I am.
0: No, I don't know. I to
5: <laughs> <I don't laughs> no, that. Father's
3: greatest joy, believe me. No, yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah, you. A certain point like, oh no, this is it's, a, it's about the next generation. You're gonna be about your children. Well, you you know, you guys' movies and stuff for me. It's like, no, it's my nieces. Yeah, know, yeah, right. You, not, yeah. you know what I mean? So I love it. Well, I'm gonna start this off with a memory that my father
0: gave me when I was probably far too young. But my dad actually had me watching the Godzilla movies when I was like a really little kid. Mm-hmm. And I like when you watch movies when you're little, like you don't really remember them, you know. They're like vague memories Mm -hmm. in the back of your head.
3: She was 14 months old.
0: Except for this one memory that has stuck with me. And it's probably one of my most formative viewing experiences. And I found out recently that other people have had this same memory drilled into their head because of it. But it takes place in Destroy All Monsters where the girl has the earring on her ear, which is like the mind control device. And they grab it and they pull it off. I will never forget that moment mm-hmm. ever in cinema. I will always have that burned wow. in my head. And so that's like a very special. So I was excited to watch this. Yeah, I always this made movie. sure
3: that our Destroy All Monsters DVD mm-hmm. was in your little stack. I always yeah. would move it back in. And
0: my, I like that. I like
1: the girl alien in that.
3: He is. We have come to control you now. <laughs>
0: used to play the Destroy All Monsters video game on um, GameCube oh, wow. together. Yeah. So we had a lot of, it was like Super Smash Brothers, like with the Godzilla characters. Yeah, so you can
3: like be Godzilla and, yeah. or be a
0: Mothra or be like any of them and like fight against each other. But so for me, I just got to say this out loud, that little larvae creature, like the little yeah. like thing. So cute. I love him. The he's little Paris, the little, little maggot, Paris, little maggot thing the, the where little, he's like, where he's like shit, mite. That, li- that little killer. <laughs> I love him. That he's little so shit, might. I love. Th- I love the weird noise that yeah. he makes. Like the weird, we're like we're yeah. We're the noise
2: is really cool.
0: The noise he makes is really cool. I like that he fights back with all the people. He's like, get off of me, and like I'm yeah. going, and he just like wiggles away. <laughs> I love it. He wiggles up the hill and he's just gone. I love it because I love the quote homemade quality. I mean, it's like a studio making this, but it's like handmade. It's like mm-hmm. all these people come together and they make it. And as you said, there's like two people in that suit and they're acting. Mm-hmm. I love all the miniatures. I love the ground caving in. That is probably oh God. it's in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. The I'm ground so glad
2: caving you did that.
4: in, yeah, amazing.
2: More than once, it was like so cool. I'm and like, like the way that it
0: actually comes apart in the sand, like goes sh- in, and that's like what I imagine. Like mm-hmm. if. A monster, a kaiju, had appeared <laughs> mm. in Los Angeles, and the ground opened up in the Santa Monica Mountains. That's exactly what I imagine it would yeah. look like. Mm. So that was just awesome. And of course, the miniatures are so great. Like that's when the movie picks up for me. Like, the beginning, it's mm. like kind of like this like melodrama, and that's always how, to, how you kind of have to start it to like take care of the characters. Well, Honda and stuff.
3: intentionally told his actors to uh, to do like a Shakespearean. Uh, yeah. style performance, mm-hmm. you know, to, to treat it like it was Shakespeare, to give mm-hmm. it as that kind of uh, intensity. Gravitas. The gravitas.
0: Yeah. And I love the miniatures because like when everything just starts like, like the, I mean, of course that bridge sequence is mm-hmm. awesome. I'm glad they got everyone off the bridge. I was like kind of worried. I was like, oh my God, are there gonna be people on the bridge. Like, <laughs> I really care about this right now. And I love when it's just like, everything's blown up. Of course there's a train crash So I love miniature yeah. train oh, everything, crash. You,
3: everything yeah. that you want <laughs> Honda gives you
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> He gave me my train crash And as you guys said This movie, it's so tragic
3: uh-huh. Yeah, it's, so it's, sad. it's sad in the end It's a very melancholic ending yep. And what's,
1: what's, what's our favorite line in there? Hundreds dead Tokyo are flames and nothing seems to kill these creatures <laughs> <laughs>
0: In the end, it's like when they blow up the volcano and, like, there's the two Rodans and one of them is, like, in the lava... And then the other one, which I assume for some reason is like the male Rodan. I don't know why. Because I assumed it was I, because male, too. I think, too. I yeah. think Mothra, Mothra is a female. I Mothra know is that, a female, But I yeah. think all the other kaijus are men. Man, man,
1: yeah. Uh, so like, the Rodan that carries on is a yeah. man.
0: Yeah, so the Rodan, like male. he flies down and he's trying to pull out his mate, his like girlfriend or <laughs> wife or whatever. And my Rodan, they're married now and they, they have a kid on the way. <laughs> it's like she's in the lava and she's screaming and flapping her wings and he's trying to pull her out. And she starts lighting on fire, and then he's on her trying to like blow it out. And then he starts lighting on fire, and he knows that he has to fly away and leave her behind. Mm-hmm. And so he does. And she knows that he has to leave her behind. And then he flies away. Oh my God, it was her crying about a monster <laughs> movie. It was really sad. And then I think, you know what? you should go destroy that city because I I might be doing that if, like, this just happened to me. I woke up, I grew up and these people are attacking me and then all of a sudden they're, like, exploding bombs in a volcano and I'm just trying to, like, chill out in this mountain over here. It was really sad. Yeah, well,
1: actually, the humans proved to be completely ineffectual. If it wasn't for the Rodans being just captured in despair and killing themselves, there would be no... It was so <laughs> sad.
0: Yeah. It was so it sad. It really was. And it was... They
1: dads through despair. They committed suicide. That was the only way to stop them.
0: Yeah, and, and then to have them, like, in the lava, as the human couple are, like, embracing each other, watching, mm-hmm. and kind of understanding, like, oh, that they're both, like, romantic pairs. Well, yeah. if I was that Rodan, I'd be, like, taking it out on him next. I'd be like, I'm going to come and get you and get your wife, so. <laughs> get your wife, too. <laughs> they're going to turn into, like, a revenge all
3: and of and a sudden. By the way, they do the one thing that they're constantly afraid of doing by the end of the movie. They're like, oh, we can't set off the volcano. Right,
2: we can't erupt the volcano. <laughs>
3: In the end, that's exactly what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they, the mankind. Well, look,
2: they go, we'll, we'll
1: risk doing the volcano to blow them up. Well, it doesn't blow up the Rodans at all, but it does sort set the volcano going. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like I said, it's almost like, it's not like just the lava got them. It was as if the female Rodan just decided, well, life's not worth living. Yeah. And she just...
3: Well, like, even so in, the, in the little... <laughs> per- narration, yeah. In the epilogue, yeah. di- you know, narration in the end, it's like, you know, they're drawn like moths to the flame, perhaps, Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Knew that this was the only And like
1: I said, that's Key Luke doing the uh yeah, yeah. Master Poe, all yeah. right, is doing the, uh, amongst many other roles. Yeah, and
0: also, I guess, because they're dinosaurs and it's like the primordial lava. Yeah. So it's like drawn back to a time of lava. I don't know. It was fun to watch. It was a first, like a first time watch for me. I'm pretty sure, unless mm. like as a kid I was like watching it, but I don't really remember this one. Pre- I remember Mothra. Mothra is my. Favorite. I don't
3: remember showing you Rodan actually. Yeah, but Godzilla, Mothra, Mothra is every, you know, definitely my Mothra. favorite. I
0: love Mothra. Um, now I, you
1: ne- now you need to see Monster Zero, the next appearance of uh, Rodan and Godzilla together. I and know. That's one of the funnest. One of the absolute uh, funnest.
3: I love uh, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster.
1: Oh, I'm a huge fan of it's that a, That's not Honda. But that, no, uh, I know, uh, but I'm, I just... Well, like, not only, I have a 16 print of that that has the original uh, uh, English Save the Earth song. And
3: and I also, <laughs> I I just have to point out that Julie, has, I don't know if you saw this guy, but it's got like a little tiny Rodan oh, for, so for good luck here. Like a yeah. little tiny... I don't know. Not even it's a an,
2: miniature. Not even an inch tall.
3: Like just a little tiny <laughs> Rodan, like yeah, baby Rodan. A, like oh, I
1: it's
2: said. the and baby it comes, Rodan. And it, and it comes in
3: a little Godzilla. Oh, yeah. it
2: was probably their kid. Well, <laughs> oh, it's their little <laughs> yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah.
3: We'll, we'll put that on our website. and will uh, in our and newsletter.
1: Again, and again, Leo knows who Rodan is. I gave him a gamma, a big plastic gamma, a big plastic Rodan. Godzilla, and uh, told them the names, and he knows Rodan.
3: You're doing it right, Quentin. We have a Godzilla
0: in our house, too, actually. Yeah. yeah. So I watched this on Plex for free without ads. Um, Our other producer, Josh, told me that he watched it on Tubi for Mm -hmm. free but with ads. I did pick up a VHS of this for $13 on eBay. Okay, I don't really know what company it is, to be honest. I was trying to figure out from the pictures because it hasn't arrived yet. Okay, so it had a paramount logo on it it had a gateway logo on it and then it had a company called master sharp
1: and i, don't I was know what yeah, are. yeah
0: i have no idea and i was trying to figure it out but i hope that when it gets here that you guys can help me correctly identify what company it is because i was kind of surprised with like the triple logo and i was trying to figure out like what is going on here so anyway that's rodan so good <laughs> yeah
1: Up next is a spy thriller that I've been a big, big fan of since I discovered it when I first started collecting 16-millimeter prints in, in the uh, late 90s. It's called The Quiller Memorandum. Here's the deal on this one. This is like one of our first as far as uh, uh won't be our last, but it's one of our first as far as screenings, something like this for the podcast— I thought we had the Quiller Memorandum in the Eddie Brands collection because it was a Fox title and it came out on key video. But while it did come out on key video, Eddie Brands didn't have it. However, I have a few different copies of the Quiller Memorandum. I actually bought it bootleggy, like from out of one of the ads in uh, the Big Reel when they would just offer up videos and stuff. So I picked uh, up a copy that way. But I also taped it when it played on the Fox channel. 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, it was on TiVo. All right. So, and they even had the TiVo when we watched it. Even yeah, it was great to see the little
3: TiVo It was great to see the little
1: TiVo thing again. <laughs> Frankly, this is better quality than the key video For the simple fact that the widescreen is an important part of the framing of the movie. And this uh, a version that I taped off of the, the Fox channel is complete widescreen. And it and looked g- gorgeous. Also,
3: bootlegs were a big part of video archives. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's... Normal. Hey, this
1: isn't even a bootleg. I have every right to tape my television and watch it at home. That's true. So this isn't even a bootleg. This is what the fucking machine was made for. You're protected by (laughs) law. You're protected by law. The fucking machine was made to do exactly what I did, and I did it.
2: You know what's cool? That's my writing. So I, I, I recorded that. Like you know, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. That's like like, when I was your assistant. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, there was a period of time where it was like uh, Julie was my assistant, and then I would take a whole bunch of shit. All right, on the TiVo that I wanted, but I, I'm not okay with it just sitting on that machine. I wanted, like, I wanted hard copies, and and right. I, yes, sir. I, <laughs> and by the way, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> Consequently, we were able to watch the Quiller Memorandum as opposed to being buried in a TiVo machine, God knows where. But Roger, why don't you take it away since we don't have a back of a box to read of setting up the storyline of the movie?
3: So um, I was super excited to see this movie. This is a movie directed by Michael Anderson, who. I mean, I love his work, mm-hmm. and uh, especially Logan's Run. Yeah, but uh, I love—I'm
1: lot- an Orca man.
2: well, so is Gal. Gal
1: is an Orca woman. Three to one, Rogers. Orca. Okay, Listen,
2: okay. okay.
1: Listen, no, no, no. The wrong with him picking Logan's Run, though. Oh, oh good. that's
3: oh, cool, yeah. but Logan's Run strikes harder and deeper into my youth yes. than Orca. This is Michael Anderson's film from 1966, which I have—I ne- had never seen hmm. Quiller Memorandum, and uh, it's with George Segal playing a British intelligence agent sent to Berlin to track down and eliminate a neo-Nazi organization run by Max von Sydow. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is an espionage thriller that is classy, slick. I mean, it the, the tech credits involved mm-hmm. in it. This is British filmmaking and craftsmanship mm-hmm. at its highest.
1: Yeah. And they're doing the genre that is like the hottest British genre that there is at the time. You know, uh, espionage, secret agent movies.
3: Yeah, and I understand Michael Anderson was really tough on everyone making this movie. No, Because really. he oh. had a very specific idea mm-hmm. on, you know, the kind of movie he wanted to make. And so he pushed everyone to excellence. And I think he, of, of those people, uh, John Barry, he, <clears throat> he apparently threw away his first score for the film mm-hmm. and uh, had him rescore the movie to what is, Probably one of John Barry's best scores.
1: I, uh,
3: it's incredible. It's such a beautiful score.
1: It's my favorite non-bond score of, it, of of John Barry. It
3: uses harpsichord in a way that kind of conjures up zither music, yeah. which immediately, as, as Quentin kind of uh, gave me a little preamble of the movie, it's like mm-hmm. this is a movie that kind of, you know, thinks it's uh, the third man or something.
1: Yeah, I do feel that the uh, I I do feel that the film um, it wants to take the secret agent film story that they, they had had with the Harry Palmer Impcris files yeah. and the Bonds and the Matt Helms and the Flints and the Bulldog Drummonds. But not some dry ass John Lecare thing. Uh, Quiller is a secret agent. It's a series of secret agent novels. So it, it, it's, it's legit. It's a legit addition to the secret agent canon, even as far as its literary uh, source is concerned. They wanted to do it, but they wanted to do the hip version, what What Hawks and Faulkner did with The Big Sleep, Hawks, Faulkner, and Lee Brackett, what they did with The Big Sleep, and what Carol Reed and uh, Graham Greene did with The Third Man, is obviously what Michael Anderson is trying to do with Adam Hall's Quiller Memorandum, and then by getting in cahoots with Harold Pinter. Yeah. Who... Outclasses this whole project by a mile by getting him to do the screenplay adaptation of this like action film spy thriller.
3: Apparently, Michael Anderson felt that Pinter stuff was too talky. Mm-hmm. He wanted more cinema, he wanted more visuals. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I've heard. I find that a little hard to believe because the movie dedicates it. It it, it gives itself to those talky moments. Those, well, uh, well, it, it loves those moments. I think it completely
1: does, but then it also zips around fucking Berlin like nobody's business. It zips around. Uh, you can tell the uh, 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 the symbiotic connection to the third man by the way they commit to shooting Cold War Berlin. Yeah. Uh, there's an authenticity To the way they shoot the uh, the Berlin landmarks, to the way they deal with the 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 German actors,
3: and how they contrast old Germany with new Germany. Yeah. Old Germany is Mm -hmm. lots of you know kind of filigree and design and things Mm. like. And then new Germany is Mm. these kind of brutalist, Albert Speer like uh, constructions. Yeah. Okay,
1: but then they also like you know, but then they you know, uh, they they do that, but they also have fun with it, like by having a. Alec Guinness's uh, character Paul, his introduction scene, okay, is where they built the uh, for the Munich Olympics. Yeah, you yeah, hundred thousand people here. Can you imagine a hundred thousand people screaming? Must be quite noisy. <laughs> 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 and then you hear in the background. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they they it in. yeah, they dial yeah. it in. They dial it in. Just like a little That's bit crazy. in the background there.
3: That scene is, to me, when the movie really... When I suddenly understood the film. Yeah. And it just feels like all Pinter. <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. It's Absolutely. That's
3: Harold Pinter shining bright right there. Because he's... Uh, Quiller is... Who's uh, you know, supposed meant to be British. Meant to be... Actually, yeah, originally... No, 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 I've, I've I think it was Richard book. Harris originally, right? Or,
1: I'm not sure about that. But I've read... Look, I've read the books. The character is obviously British. He works for MI5 at doesn't make any sense that he's this Jewish American smart aleck, (laughs) Jewish American New York smart aleck, right? You know, which nobody refers to the fact that like, he's so obviously Jewish and like, oh, let's send him undercover to break the- The only only person- The the, the (laughs) neo-Nazis. Yeah. yeah, And the
3: only person really making any kind of reference to that, and it's always subtle, Mm -hmm. is is the director, Michael Anderson. You uh, know, he's the one who's- Make it, it's like, there's always this little joke and there's little tiny things that they say like, oh, well, he's been working in the Middle East. Yeah. And I, I got the feeling as I was watching it, I just filled it in on my own. They're like, well he's like working with the Mossad or he is Mossad yeah, or, the, yeah. or he's part of this kind of new Europe that's, uh, you know, coming together that's a conglomeration of NATO affiliates. Uh, no,
1: and... it's no, it was actually really funny because you were able to watch the film and the way you can add like a, a gay subtext, especially to films from the 50s and the 60s and it can be a lot of fun, you could add a Semitic subtext all right, to this movie that the movie never acknowledges.
3: You can't ignore it. <laughs> you can't ignore his relationship between him and the teacher yeah. and her attraction, this German teacher and her attraction. Well, to yeah, him. but okay, but yeah. your
1: your take on it, all right, is actually Michael Anderson isn't ignoring it. It's just com-
3: Michael committing
1: and- to subtext.
3: He's committing it completely to subtext, and he's subtly hinting at it throughout because the movie is as much about you know male female relationships and. Male male relationships mm-hmm. than it is about you know the uh, all the Jewish subtext that's going on, which mm-hmm. I think is just natural that you're shooting a movie in Berlin well, okay, movie- and you've got all these neo Nazis running around still. It, like uh, it's smart to do that. It's better than yeah, just having uh-huh. it be. Richard Harris, for example. And I love Richard Harris, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh-huh, as uh-huh. you know. We're playing by the rules of a standard secret agent movie, but we're trying to be more wise guy than that. We're trying to... We know it's a secret agent movie, and we're doing a hip riff on it. So it it kind of knows what it is all the time. There's quotes around the whole damn movie. And George Siegel goes a long way to putting quotes around the whole movie, as opposed to casting a British guy. As he's doing the movie, you can see George Siegel, the actor, choosing the role, (laughs) playing the role.
2: That's in my notes. Like, Uh George Siegel makes choices. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I I read some of the old reviews of the Kroler Memorandum, Uh and George Siegel gets beat up, you know? Uh And I'm thinking uh to myself, like, what movie did you watch? Do you not understand? Like, he's made choices in this. It's different than a bad mm-hmm. performance. He made choices. Maybe you don't like his choice, but... Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, like the New York Times. Can I, can I read yeah, this? Yeah, read yeah, I yeah feel totally. Like, if... You've got any spying to be done in Berlin, don't send George Siegel to do the job. Or rather, don't send the pudding-headed fellow that Mr. Siegel plays (laughs) in the cooler memorandum. And then da-da-da. He's the sort of secret agent who, on being assigned to snoop around Berlin in search of the hidden headquarters of a neo-Nazi group, goes straight to the nearest pretty female. And it's just like, cut to something else. Who would be assigned to one dumb American spy. It just I mean this whole task. Why would you assign it to one dumb American spy? Because he's quiller. (laughs) Because he's quiller. Why would you not? He says it, he even says it at the beginning of the movie like, no, I'm going to go in there and rattle the cages. I want them to know I'm here. He's not trying to be some suave American. The reason they haven't come to me yet is because they don't
3: know about me yet. So I gotta get them to know about me. Well one of the things
1: that's in the story and it's 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 a it's a trait of Quiller's character from having read three different books of him is if the idea is I need to rattle the cage, I need to, they're, they're lying low. So I need them to, uh, reveal themselves, show themselves that when they're lying low and you need to bring them out, let them capture you. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, you know, walk the, into the trap. Should, walk into the exactly, trap. by the way, let them the, capture you. That is one of Quiller's methods. And, the, and that's the, what he does in this movie. The, the he, other
2: way it didn't work, you know. The other yeah. two spies got killed, yeah. so, you know.
1: One of the the unique aspects of uh the way the spies work in uh the Quiller novels is when they send Quiller on a mission, whether it's in Cambodia or or uh uh, East Berlin or West Berlin or Buenos Aires, wherever the hell it is, they always send two agents. There's the agent in the field, which is Quiller. And then there's his number two, which is basically his boss. And he's running the agent. So it's like the boss's job, who's running the agent, to... Get a secure little office, basically, just to get a secure place. Yeah, a, safe,
3: a safe house. Basically. And this
1: is the safe house. This is the safe house. And obviously, Quiller can make a lot of decisions on his own, but he's got to just keep getting together with this guy. And so he's not completely on his own. He is still getting directives from the front office and he's still getting directives from this guy. So he's not just
3: completely on his own. He's being run. Is Paul taking uh, – the the Alec Guinness character taking his sort
1: of – They don't literally do it where he's just in Berlin all on his own and nobody knows what's going on. That's why he's meeting him in public. Uh, But Paul is more or less supposed to be that character.
3: Right, right. They distilled it down to that. They made it more – like everything. It's just else. a guy
1: who's sending yeah. him on his mission, all right, as opposed to the unique aspect yeah. that's in the Quiller situation. And all you know, and Quiller can work with somebody that he's worked with before that he thinks the guy's fantastic, or he can work with somebody he thinks is a fucking asshole. Yeah, these,
3: da- these right. days it would be somebody like on a headset talking to him, and it's like, you know, go to the door to your left and, Me. you know, telling, you know, they'd be communicating with him no, in it's it's like a second.
1: I was always taken with this script because I thought it was just really, 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 really clever. And, uh, Watching it again with you, as a matter of fact, I was like, hey, maybe the Cooler Memorandum could be a good one. And so before you guys, I could have switched it out to something else. Um, But before you guys came down, I put it on. I watched about 15 minutes of it. And I go, no, this is terrific. Let's watch it. So we watched it. And we all really had a good time. I have to say, though, having not seen it for a while, I was a little less enthused. The first half is really really good. All right, the first half is just as terrific as I remember it being. I think the second half, it's not as clever. At a certain point, Harold Pinter is just wrapping it up. He's doing a fairly good job. It doesn't just play like a wise guy version of a secret agent story. It plays like a secret agent story, and the action beats work in it. But you know, it creates a level of, of cleverness and wordplay that it doesn't quite keep up. When you see Alec Guinness show up a couple more times, he never adds to that first impression of the first that first scene. You're waiting for it. It's all exciting.
2: Well, I almost disagree with you really? because uh-huh. two of my favorite scenes um involve food and the second one is when Alec Guinness and mm-hmm. um, George Siegel, uh, Quiller are are having their little cat and mouse at the cafe, and he uses like uh. two muffins.
1: Okay, well that's pretty good. Okay, no, look, like, y- y- I will. And, let me so, okay. and you're the
2: nut in the and middle. Exactly, you're the peanut plop, in the pee, middle. He plops, the pee, off, yeah, yeah. And he plops off a little nut or something from this the two muffins in the gap. You're yeah, the gap. and you're in yeah. the gap, and at the end. You,
1: Okay, okay. It's, a,
2: it's he, actually a really... He pops that yeah. nut or raisin or whatever it is into It's a raisin, a, he yeah. He eats quiller in the end. So a, it's like... A, okay, you're, his, okay,
1: yeah. you're that's right. That's, that's actually a that,
3: wonderful scene. That's a, it, that's a really is, fun okay. scene. It is one of
2: my favorite scenes. Okay,
1: you're right. Okay, yeah, okay, okay.
3: And, and, and the, the whole idea behind that scene is like, oh, there's two two parties that are in there. These two muffins, they're in the fog. They're in neither, the fog. Neither two, can see each other. Yeah. You are in the middle. You can see when you move this way or this mm. way, more of this one and less of that one, but we can never see each other. How to how to keep the Cold War cold? How to keep the Cold War cold? Don't expose
2: our headquarters while you're trying to find their headquarters. No,
3: I forgot about that. And it's another great gay subtext scene. (laughs) That's (laughs) true. That's true. Two men trying to meet each other, and yeah. But I I do. But I do
1: think though that uh, uh, after Max von Sydow's magnificent introduction scene, yeah, that every time you see him doing another variation on the interrogation. It just like kind of loses a little luster for the character. And then at the end, when it turns out like, okay, no, we just called the cops and we just rounded them all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, now that we know where the place is. <laughs> oh, now we know where the place is. Okay. Should they still be there? Yeah. I think they're still there. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll just wrap them up. Hey, they got them all. Hey, great. But <laughs> great. <laughs> well, that's the way it ends
3: one of the reasons the movie feels more flagging toward the end is I think Quiller is flagging by the end. He's become exhausted. Like he hasn't slept. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been drugged. He's been drugged. He's more shabby. He's been beaten up. He's like going around and he's tired of it all. And by the end, he's literally dragging his feet from place to place, exhausted. And the way, um, George Segal is kind of delivering the dialogue is isn't that kind of, you know, smart alecky, s- that New York kind of way. Well, that- well,
1: well, okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But that points out part of my problem with the second half of the story is like the second half of the story really tries to make a big deal that George Siegel is recreating the steps of the first agent that we see murdered, but to no particular effect that makes any sense. Yeah. Right. They either make sense in the, in the through line of the story or make sense in a, in a literary or dramatic kind of way. Uh, in fact, it was kind of funny, the image of, of of Quiller just wandering around and all the agents uh, uh, covering him. But you're like, wait, wait, is this a fucking idea? All right, is this the idea? This is kind of a crazy idea. And then and then he escapes, and they go, oh well, god, what the, what you, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? All right, oh oh, he escapes, and then he just calls the cops, and then they arrest everybody, and that's it.
3: So, Quentin, uh, have you tried this cigarette? <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I haven't
3: tried that cigarette. Do you think that cigarette will be too mild? Is, it, is that cigarette milder? Oh, this cigarette is a little bit less mild than you're used to. Try my brand. My brand is different.
1: Okay, I will try your brand.
3: You'll find it smooth and more thickly packed. Well, Matt, with one of the things like... <laughs> Is I mean it, it's almost like that. Like the the kind of dial the this it, this this code is it, is that it, the agents use is almost like two guys hooking up. Is it
1: rougher <laughs> is it rougher than other brands? It's rougher than some other brands. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, it. Yes, rougher. Yes. Is it yes. rougher? That's right. That's right. Is it milder than my brand? It's
3: milder than Every some Every time brand. he yeah, had yeah. an opportunity to meet with another agent and go through that routine, yeah. I loved it. No, no, no. <laughs> I loved it. I, I couldn't get enough of that. I was like, the more agents you have to bump into and offer cigarettes to and cuddle up with, the better.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's the gift that just keeps on giving throughout the entire film. It family. was. And
2: what was the scene where they almost like, you're like, oh, my God, they're going to kiss. Yeah, they yeah. got so close. Well, they got really close. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, they,
3: they, yeah. Here, try my cigarette. tobacco smells nice.
1: And okay, we're joined by Gala Raquel Avery. How you doing, Gala?
0: Okay, so I'm just going to get this out of the way really quick. I watched this on YouTube and I always like to read the comments on YouTube. because did,
3: did you have it widescreen on YouTube? I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah,
0: you know what? I don't think it was widescreen on YouTube. I think it was just like... Because
3: Erwin Miller, the guy who shot the Red Shoes, shot this. And mm-hmm. the widescreen is Honestly, gorgeous. And the looked, lighting is beautiful. Like- it looks
0: like a VHS rip. Okay. So I'm assuming that's what it was. But I like to read
3: well, the... You, you got to hunt down Quentin's uh, bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> <and> his TiVo <laughs> bootleg. I just
0: like reach across the cable and yeah. just... <laughs> 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 um, so I like to read the YouTube comments. And one read... This is my favorite spy movie. It is also Quentin Tarantino's favorite spy movie. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, thanks thanks for letting me know.
1: (laughs) I think I made a big deal. I don't don't remember calling it my favorite spy movie. I might have used that kind of hyperbole. Maybe I felt it at the time. But I did give it a big... uh, When I discovered it on 16mm... That was back when I was doing uh, the Austin Film Fest. Uh, mm. like, uh, once, QT Fest. Yeah, QT, QT Fest. Once every uh, year and a half or every two years, I go to Austin. I would bring the 16 and the 35 prints I discovered in the meantime that, I, like, oh, these are really terrific. I have to show these. I got the new
4: shit. I got the new shit. I got the new shit.
1: <laughs> and the Quiller Memorandum was a big one.
0: So it's definitely like a slow burn spy thriller. Like, it's not, it definitely is not James Bond. And in some ways, I actually really appreciate it. Although it has
3: a score like a James Bond well, movie. Oh, yeah. And
0: speaking of the score, it's actually a, a flexitone that they use oh, to really? get that. Um, which is like, I don't know if you've ever seen a flexitone before, yeah. but it's like this piece of metal and it goes. Mm-hmm. And
5: mm-hmm. then like
0: it hit the ball hits the, mm-hmm. the piece of metal. Mm-hmm. and it, So I thought that was interesting <laughs> because I've never really heard a flexitone and, and, and being it, it, used it re- before. But it
3: recalls the third man and the yeah. harpsichord. Well,
1: well, I mean, what the, other, the other thing that it also recalls. Robert Altman has always gotten this this special credit that, uh seemingly he deserved uh, for having the, the, the neat idea in The Long Goodbye, that every piece of score in the film is just another alliteration of the theme of The theme, Long, goodbye, the long yeah. goodbye, whether it's like a, a guy in a piano bar playing The it, Muzak and, oh, in the supermarket. The, the Muzak in the supermarket or whatever. And uh, And look, he's the one that really did it, did it, did it. But- you can see in this movie, the, the precursor to that idea is exactly in the tone of what John Barry is trying to do. So you have their alliteration of the third man thing, wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. Then you have the beautiful v- symphony version of the, the John Berry score playing. And, yeah, the, and then he walks into a, a, a pub and then there's Matt Monroe, which is like the British version of, of Andy Williams. Right, you know, <laughs> Wednesday's child is a child oh, I about that. Yeah. of <laughs> woe. Wednesday's child knows what I should know. <laughs> by the time you hear it being crooned by Matt Monroe of all people you know it's like no this is like a literally a joke this is this is the long goodbye joke done earlier
0: so i haven't actually seen this other movie but a lot of people were comparing this to the ipcris file which is the sydney j fury movie mm-hmm. would yeah. you say that these are like two like similar yeah they're like, very
1: yeah, they're very similar and their their like, smart aleckness all right and then uh yeah you know, and, and their literary
3: uh Descendants. Also, 66 is the height of the Cold War. And yeah. so, you know, they're Hollywood and uh, yeah. the know, England FI- and yeah. everybody's making these kind of spy films. The Ipcris file
1: is based on a, a, a Len Dayton novel. All right. Harry Palmer is uh, the character. They did bu- the, the three Harry Palmer movies. You're a big fan of the Ken Russell one. Yeah, right? yeah.
3: I love the Ken Russell one.
1: Yeah. yeah I and, love and, Ken and, Russell. So yeah, I, And so this falls in the same category.
0: At the open, like that scene where Alex Guinness and Paul and they first meet, and he's mm-hmm. like explaining the I'm mission. Paul P O N. Like Paul, P-O-L. Pot, like Pol Pot, You're almost, like Pot. which is
3: kind of a weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Paul, P O L P O N. Paul.
0: And I love how he goes through like what happened. To, what happened to that guy? Oh, do you know him? Well, he's dead. Okay. Well, do you know this guy? Well, he's also dead. Mm-hmm. And then they do the whole cigarette. Th- and I love that cigarette thing yeah. so much. Yeah. And then I love that he's just walking around eating a sandwich. <laughs> See more. It's food. All about yeah, food. I was. It's yeah. all about food, and I mean you know me I love food (laughs) I love food in movies I see food in movies I'm like okay I'm in
3: yeah literally if there's a buffet in a movie it's like oh I like that movie it had a buffet in it
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I started getting hungry, like watching him eat his sandwich. (laughs) Actually,
1: Alan Guinness is almost kind of giving a Jack Benny, almost like impersonation. You know, he's kind of doing a Jack Benny kind of character. You can see Jack Benny playing that character. Yeah,
2: actually, you could. Gala, did you notice the scene where they're in London, that that, 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 that the two MI5 guys are talking and they're 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 eating? Oh, George Sanders, George uh, Sanders, uh, and yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're they're eating, but they use this, and I love when and. British actors do this wonderfully. I love when they, mm-hmm. they, they find a prop and they just use it as an anchor. So their anchor yeah, yeah. is this salt shaker. So <laughs> George Sanders <laughs> takes the salt shaker and he like sprinkles it. And then and then the other guy, Robert F. Fleming, takes it and he doesn't shake the salt. He like pours it onto the yeah, edge not, of not his side. Not to be side. outdone. Yeah. yeah, he pours it onto the edge, <laughs> then sets it. Then he's cutting into his pheasant, and then, you know, he's getting a little mashed potatoes, and then he dips it. Almost like like the salt is a yeah. sauce, and then he dips it, and yeah. then he eats. And, yeah. and they're both so... The, the actors in, are wonderful. Yeah. In this. They're, focus, yeah. they're,
3: they're, they're focused like, on the their food entirely, exactly. Yeah.
2: But and then this witty dialogue from from yeah. Pinter. I mean, it's just yeah. it's wonderful. But the food, what is that? That lunch? salt oh. stood out, and it's one of my favorite things. What is
1: that you're eating for lunch? It's yeah. pheasant. Um, oh, is it any good? Yes, it, it's quite good. Yes, that would be quite good, wouldn't it?
0: Yes, it suits me. <laughs> is your pheasant rougher than any other pheasant? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that I I wasn't even thinking about the gay sub surprisingly because normally like my dad and my brain are connected and like that's where I'm going also but it's like the whole oral fixation it's eating and cigarettes
5: yeah and
0: it's like that's basically what it is they're constantly eating and they're constantly smoking or not smoking the cigarette but offering the cigarette to each other as a form of code yeah,
3: they're constantly putting cigarettes to their lips
0: well but my, my favorite my rolling them
3: around a little
0: my favorite cigarette moment though is when he gets in the car and then the agent gets in and offers him one and he's like God, like, damn it. Like, come on, I know who you are and you know who I am. Like, do we have to go through this whole Mm -hmm. thing? And then it's like a fine, he has to go through the entire thing. And then at the end, he puts a cigarette in his mouth, he lights it, and then he's like, well, do you want one of mine? And he's like, well, I don't smoke. And he's (laughs) like, throws his cigarette out the window. And he's just so sick of it, like having to go through this whole thing over and over and over again.
1: There's something that we haven't talked about. And that is the official last scene Mm. in the movie. And it's a scene between uh, George Segal and uh, Senta Berger, who's, you know, for all intents and purposes, the female lead in the movie. And I've always been a big Senta Berger fan, and I especially like her in spy movies. She's in the uh, 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 one of the Man from Uncle movies, and she's, she's just fun in all these things.
3: And she plays a school teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah. and she plays, sc- she plays a school teacher for elementary school kids in uh, uh, Berlin. There is a bittersweet quality to their final scene together that does harken back to a more dramatically played out sequence, the uh, the way the third man ends with that final shot of uh, Joseph Cotton and Vali together. Uh, This scene is really strong. This scene has a subtext that is not there throughout the rest of the movie. The subtext almost becomes text. It becomes so important. It's just a really, really strong scene, and it makes its points. Then, then when the John Barry music, which has been this recurring theme, is brought back in, it's really killer. It, it, it brings the movie to a real close. And it has this classic final shot that just kind of makes the whole thing so exquisite. So when I'm watching it the other day, and I'm seeing that really terrific ending, I'm like, well, where the fuck has this movie been for the last 45 fucking minutes? Yeah, you yeah, you're knocking it out with this really wonderful last scene. But this is the last scene of a much better movie yeah. <laughs> than the one that we've been watching. This is the last scene of a classic.
3: And we hadn't quite get that. Well, like you said, I mean, a movie like this a, a lot of it is about, you know, the mechanics of the, you know, the wrap up and mm-hmm. it's almost like he, Michael Anderson is who who's a sociologist filmmaker. I mean, this is a guy who makes movies uh you know, that he feels like he's doing something more than just the entertainment part. Logan's run is mm-hmm. obviously about more than just, you know, the entertainment value of it. Yeah. And uh, so is Orca. And so is Orca. <laughs> just so we know. Less so with 1984. That's here, a
1: little, here. He, I, I'm on with Gala. On his so Edward O'Brien uh,
3: 1984, a little less so. He's a little bit more on the point, but he's always thinking even, about- Even these, murder by phone. And, and mm-hmm. there was a shot in this that made me super excited. Oh, as yeah. As you know. And it was like, you know, he's- So much of this movie is about old Berlin, new Berlin, old Germany, the new Germany. What is the difference between the two and Mm -hmm. what is it transforming into and what is it becoming? And one of his final things is they do this kind of everything's kind of wrapping up in the end. And he's with Mm -hmm. Paul in their little hideout, which is an empty floor of an office building at this point. And uh, um, they do the sweeping vista of Berlin so that we can see. Yeah. Uh, the literal clash between the new buildings and the old buildings, the new modernism versus mm. the old uh, filigree uh, buildings. And the building they show is the Mercedes building. It's a mm. giant, yeah. you know, glass and steel structure rising out of Berlin with a huge Mercedes logo you know, <laughs> on top of it, like practically <laughs> rotating. And then the camera kind of pulls back a little bit and we come in through the window of the office building we're in and George Siegel is standing there and he's leaning his right hand up <laughs> against the window. <laughs> and as it backs up from the Mercedes building, we see he's doing a Nazi salute. Yeah. yeah. Michael Anderson has figured out a way to frame it so that he's literally got George Siegel. His Mossad right. guy is now, you know, uh, let's just call him leaning. At this point, Mm -hmm. you know, for for reasons that may not be entirely in his control. He's become confused. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's become muddled by the end of the movie. He's become tired. He's become, you know, he's he's changed by the end of the film, I think, is what Michael Anderson is. trying. He's more interested in that. I agree. He's more interested in Quiller and what is Quiller becoming and what is Germany becoming? He's more interested in the thematics of the movie than he is about the actual. OK, let's wrap all this shit
1: up. Okay, you know, uh, but we haven't talked about the other great dialogue scene, along with the cigarette. Back and forth, and along with the introduction of Paul is uh, the first big scene between Sentiburger and George Siegel, and it's like the one satiric scene where, like, well, it's the one scene where George Siegel is actually able to be the architect of his own satire. Yeah, in in the piece, and that's where he tells the story. It's funny that you say that because I was just hanging around uh, the other day and I started uh, had a conversation with this guy. And this guy was talking about the difference between the old Germany and the new Germany. I thought that was really interesting, that whole kind of – this is almost like a Jack Benny rant he's doing on himself. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting about the whole thing of the new Germany and the old Germany. you know. And she goes, well, what you? yeah, well, uh, that's what this man was saying. This man was just saying exactly that. He was saying that – these new versions of the Nazis, they don't wear swaskas. No, this man was telling me that they, they, they just- They look like everyone else. They look like everyone else, and they just hide in, so they're harder to spot. And every alliteration he has of this man, you know, well, that's what this man was telling me. He was telling me exactly that. <laughs> well, and that's the genius this... <laughs> that George Segal brings to this movie. Yeah, yeah, is those
3: little- Well, um, that's what he gets see? to- Like
1: I said, that's what he gets to be the architect of the of, of his own satire. Yeah. When, He's when, the one telling the joke and that, that sequence. And he kills it. He kills it.
3: And and how Kind of tongue in cheek, he's taking everything, all the goofiness <laughs> that's going on around him, all these neo Nazis running around and everything. How, you know, and how he's like, I, uh, no, I don't speak a lick of German. Or he's playing yeah, it yeah. so stupid along the way and so like, like yeah. I'm a magazine well, reporter. You yeah, for... Slugworth
0: shows up? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, well,
3: yeah. 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 I love Gunther it.
0: Gunther Meisner. Yeah.
3: Whenever Slugworth shows up in a movie, I'm happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, uh, like, I think two other Willy Wonka actors show up uncredited. Oh, yeah, like, If you're making a movie in Berlin, yeah, you're going to get like, all, all Willy Wonka All over the place in the background. You know, there is a little bit of a controversy about one of the scenes in this movie that I found when people are debating it online, apparently, Mm -hmm. is when he calls Inga on the phone after he's been interrogated, is she alone in bed? Hmm. Because he asks her, are you alone? And she just says, I'm sleeping. Do you think that when he wakes Inga up on the phone that she is alone?
3: She's a deviant German, yes. No, no. She's not
2: alone.
3: Deviant German. The thing is,
0: I don't think she's alone. I think she's in bed with someone. Like, they really make sure to, like, Frame it so that it's not, and she doesn't want to speak, and she's yeah. Want to and in know.
3: a in a widescreen movie, to be able to frame someone out,
0: so <laughs> even, in a, even in a tight scenes, yeah, 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 yeah. so even in the widescreen, it's framed out. Because yeah. I think I was watching.
3: No, yeah, no, uh it's
1: it's framed out, but like no, she's she's very deflecting about yeah. like, but well, it's I'm busy and I'm yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's she it's wouldn't late. let him come
2: over, yeah. so yeah. she said tomorrow. Mm. Yeah.
1: I also think there's one other thing. If you want to have uh, subtextual fun. On this piece, maybe more the second time you see it than the first time, is I think it's very much open for you to decide when you want when it comes to when George Siegel figures everything out. Yeah. I think if you have it that he figures it out much, much earlier, you're watching a different movie. Mm. And it actually, that movie, and that movie completely works. Nothing will contradict you, your, your feelings about that. Or if you haven't. Uh, figure it out a little bit later it's the same thing or if he doesn't figure it out until everyone's uh, uh, captured well then that's that's its own movie but all three movies kind of work so it's
0: kind Nothing of like contradicts itself when do you figure it out in your own head and does he figure it out the same time as you
1: yeah because it's a different movie if he figures it out really really early on but yet it could completely work hey, that go, way
3: the version you saw did it have subtitles no that's great. Okay, so there's there there are that scenes remember. in German in this movie that have no <laughs> subtitles. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah. And it works great. And and the, when, and maybe I don't want to give this away, but the, the moment where suddenly George Siegel starts speaking German, mm-hmm. it's great. No, it's a, that's a great scene. It's a great moment. Another it's,
2: proof that he's not a bumbling spy. No, no, he's not. not. He's not. No, no. I, it, when we were talking, I just realized that George Siegel went from... Edward Albee, uh, who's afraid of Virginia yeah. Woolf, to Harold Pinter, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say George oh, wow. Siegel is such a super cool guy mm-hmm. that when you programmed The Long Goodbye and The Blackbird yeah. at the New Beverly in uh-huh. January yeah. of 2019, Elliot um, Gould came to see uh, uh-huh. The Long Goodbye. He didn't do a Q&A or anything. He just, yeah, wanted, to, he just wanted to watch it. Uh-huh. Um, but he told us that George Siegel was driving by mm-hmm. Beverly Boulevard and saw... The Long Goodbye and the Blackbird Marquee, Uh, and that he stopped, took a picture of the Marquee, and texted it to Elliot Gould. uh, Wow. uh,
5: I love George Segal.
3: Well, and let's
2: also just say, he does not have pudding hair. He has great hair. (laughs) (laughs)
3: George (laughs) Segal's got great hair in this movie, I just want to say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: I actually, uh, uh, I met George Segal a couple times, but one time I met him was, he was uh, part of that little gang that had breakfast every morning, had coffee every morning at this farmer's market with with um, Paul Mazursky.
3: Yeah, the Mazursky gang. Uh, know, the whole... Yeah, the
1: Mazursky gang. Yeah. And so I was invited once and uh, the, we had just had a screening at the New Beverly of uh, Bloom and Love and Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice. And there's George Segal in his uh, jogging outfit and he's got his <laughs> coffee and he's like, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> and uh, um, I go, yes, yeah, so we just had a screening of, uh, of Bloom and Love and Bob and Carol. I goes, which one played better? I should blow him in love He goes Of course it did <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I watched this on YouTube. I know there's a DVD out there floating around somewhere. Uh,
1: Yes. And I also think there's a key video out there.
0: Yes. Which is actually what I picked up from eBay for $6. That's a deal. I know that's a deal for a key video, but I have to like, there's a little, I love key video. It's probably my favorite box because of the rainbow. And I find Mm -hmm. it really uniform, but the, like the frame that they choose for like the poster on the front with the rainbow, pretty, it looks bad. No, I'm it's kind of no, it's kind of generic. It's it just a picture bad. of Alec Guinness and
1: George Segal during the exposition scene, uh, and also the key video colors are a little weird. Yeah, little I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't actually, like the. Yeah, I actually thought it I like was the like, blue style. This is like the brown style. Yeah,
0: I thought it was like a fake VHS. To be honest, I looked at, it, I was like, what is this? Like the way. It's no, the I don't like wraps. the
1: brown style no. key videos. I like the blue
0: base. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I don't know. Did
3: no, brown but... come before blue or did blue come nah, before Br- No, blue was always
1: the thing. They just monkeyed around every once in yeah, a while. Yeah, it's bad
3: to monkey with what works.
1: Okay, and we're back and it's time for our third movie. I wanted to gear one movie directly towards uh, Julie. Julie. This was definitely the one to do it with, but it's a little unique insofar as uh, we actually don't have a video cassette of it. I actually watched the 16 print of it. Uh, so we're breaking our format slightly. Now, Julie is, she's a big fan of lots of stuff, but one of the things that she's been a big fan of ever since I knew her, and she has different toys and different things, is she's a big fan of uh, the Planet of the Apes series.
4: Quentin, you must review like Ape. <laughs> I'll do General Arco soon enough. Well, let me get I again. have Ergo's review. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so the thing about it is, uh, but rather than do one of the five movies, uh, and Roger, me and myself and Gally just watched uh, the recut of the, uh, uh, the R-rated version of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes just recently, we just watched that ourselves. But I wanted to watch one of the other five Ape movies. Other five eight movies uh some of you ask out there, what other five eight movies well i 'll tell you before v h s if you were watching movies, you either saw them at the theaters or you watched them on television, and yeah, we all watched uh, stuff that played on uh, network television. I was always a big fan of the abc uh, uh Sunday night movie, but most of us. When we watched movies, we watched them on local television. We watched them on the syndication packages on local TV, and you know whether that's KTLA Channel Five out here in Los Angeles or KHJ Channel Nine or KCET Channel Thirteen or KTTV Channel Eleven, which they always had all the MGM movies. That's why they had all the movie greats movies. And where like Channel Five always had the Universal Monster movies. Channel Nine had a bunch of uh, AIP movies. I'm naming Los Angeles stations, but if you're in Cleveland, you you have your, the, the Cleveland stations. If you're in what part of Tennessee you're on, you have the local stations out there. And the way all those local stations would show movies is those local stations would buy a syndication TV package that uh, people were uh, offering up of uh, could be five titles. It could be 12 titles. It could be 37 titles. And they, had the, uh, you know, they were able to show those movies for a, a, a period of a, usually a couple of years. Now, one of the things that they would do to beef up these packages is they had a whole series of movies where they took a a canceled TV show and either took a two-part episode and cut it together like it was a feature film, or they just took two random episodes and cut them together with maybe a thing in the middle, maybe that tied them together. And these played all throughout. Uh, The 70s and the 80s. We watched one when we are on our Susan George kick. We watched two episodes of The Persuaders. Yeah, yeah. Put together as Mission to Monte Carlo. All right. That was a, uh, we wanted to watch another Susan George movie and we picked that one. And uh, one of the things that they would, reason they do these is these local TV stations, if they had enough movies to make a Burt Reynolds week, then they could have a Burt Reynolds week. But then they took all the episodes of uh, Dan August put them together, made movies out of them. So now anyone could get a Burt Reynolds week. Well, turns out that one of the biggest weeks that you could ever have at your local TV station is if you own the five Planet of the Apes movies from Fox. And then they would have an all ape week, that week on their Channel 5 movie theater. And it was a smash. And it would be one of the highest grossing weeks you could take on network television. Best week is ape week. So, since their eight weeks were so fantastic, they went to the TV series that they did, the short-lived TV series that came out in the early 70s, 70, around 73. 74. 74. And then they just took two random episodes and then made five movies out of it so you could make a second Ape Week on your, you know, uh, for your movie show on your uh, local station. And they gave them crazy, crazy titles. All right. So the one that we watch is I have a sixteen millimeter print of treachery and greed on the planet of the apes. Okay. There's even one that's an even better title. Life, love, and pursuit of the planet of the apes. (laughs) Life, love, liberty, and the pursuit of the planet of the apes. Yep. Yep. so, Julie, what did you think of it? Had you ever seen that one before?
2: I had seen that one before. and um
1: Have you seen the movie or just seen the episodes?
2: No, I had seen the movie. Uh-huh. So, and, and part of the New Beverly collection, too, which is your collection, you mm-hmm. know, obviously. We have two more movies. Uh, so, we actually have Forgotten City of the Planet of the Apes and Farewell to the Planet of mm-hmm. the Apes. Should you want to see yeah, them? Yeah, I think we you. do. Good, yeah. Um, So it's interesting, like you you had mentioned, short-lived Planet Mm -hmm. of the Apes TV series. There's only 14 episodes, so Mm -hmm. they got five TV movies. Um, These aired in 1981, so Mm -hmm. there was some time between it. And the movies, they're not in chronological order of episodes or anything like that. So we saw episode nine, which is The Horse Race. That Mm -hmm. was the first kind of episode. And then it just kind of seamlessly, you know... Cuts to uh, hardly seamlessly, yeah. it's like Just a harsh like, shizzer cut, well. and all of a sudden they're in trouble <laughs> they're, again. Yeah, they're, well, they're, they're hiding like, in the yeah, they're, they're hiding. hiding. Yeah, from the vantage points. But I'm like, oh, wait, we're is like in the episode. They're gonna like, hey guys, how are you doing? Yeah. Hey, oh, hey,
1: <laughs> here comes the gorillas. Hide in the hide in the roof. Hide, yeah, hide. So,
2: uh, and that was called the Tyrant. So yeah, the second uh, episode. Uh-huh. So I think they're terrific. I, I think the Planet of the Apes is often underrated, mm-hmm. and we have um, three stars. Uh, two astronauts, uh, one played by James Naughton, he plays Peter, mm-hmm. and the other by Ron Hopper, he plays Alan. And then, of course, we have Roddy McDowell. Back. playing yes. 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 And he's playing Galen, who is actually an assistant to Zaius, uh, who... Unfortunately, mm-hmm. gets into trouble and he becomes a fugitive with mm-hmm. the two astronauts. So that's yeah. the kind of the mm-hmm. setup, and that's the episodes that you will see.
1: Well, it was funny as we were watching it. Roger actually goes because Roger wasn't familiar with the TV series, and he yeah, hadn't I was seen living anything. out of the yeah.
3: country at the time and in South America. So, so we're sitting there. Wa- it so
1: we're sitting there watching it, and Roger goes, "Okay, well, is, is there an objective to these guys? I are, are there? Is there something that they're trying to do?" And I don't think there is anything they're trying to do. The, the spaceship is kaput. So right. they're, they're just trying to
5: not be they're captured to by survive. the apes. Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Now, the episodes that I remember of the pilot episode, which is just the Urzat's remake of the first movie. But the episode that I really, really remember is the William Smith episode. Oh, they are a big
2: William Smith fan. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, uh, well, that's a show perfect for him because that's where they're raising humans uh, to be gladiators. And uh, William Smith is like the head gladiator. The but old it, gladiator. It, but his son is like, his son is a Mark Beastmaster Singer, you know, and so they're raising him to be a gladiator. And it was, you know, it was great. So I gave, uh, I gave my son Leo uh, a vintage uh, Planet of the Apes uh, uh, figure. I, I think the figure that I gave him is like the, the Gorilla General character that James Gregory plays in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I think that's the character that he officially is. But, you know, they were never consistent with the guerrilla chief. It was always somebody different. So, for instance, Claude Aikens is like General Aldo, all right, in, in, in battle. Uh, the character, the general character that's on the TV series is the name that stuck in my head, which was General Erko. And so I taught that to Leo. And General Urko has become his favorite character of all of, even more than the Avengers. And he loves the Avengers. He loves the- Apes
4: better than Avengers. Yeah, Well, that's what General Urko says. (laughs) Uh, The
1: reason he likes him is, well, I think he likes the bad guy quality about him. But then, you know- I'm just, uh, I give him the General Lurko voice. And General Lurko, he's always just ranching and raving at the other toys because they're not all gorilla toys. <laughs> with, with, with these stupid dinosaurs, with these lizard brains, with the brains of a peanut, <laughs> and these dumb, stupid heroes, and that dumb green guy. Oh, no, you need gorillas. You need more gorilla toys.
4: You know, the only good human is a dead human.
1: It doesn't call Leo Leo. He refers to him as little human. <laughs> And Leo loves him. I, uh, my wife has a suspicion that, like, I think he also just likes saying General Urko's name. I think it's a combination, though. It's like, okay, I think, well, he likes playing with me. He likes the fact that I do the voice and I commit to it very well. But also, I think he knows that I like doing it, so he's trying to encourage me to do it more by saying that he likes something that I like. (laughs) I think it's uh, all three can be true. I think all three are true. (laughs) Uh, So anyway. It was a blast watching it because Jaron Orco had a lot to do in both episodes. Oh, yeah. And one, I didn't realize how, how he he's a tyrant. He's a tyrant to the other gorillas. You yeah. know, he, he makes them oh, yeah. like bet everything they have, you know, on losing <laughs> races. And
4: Hurry, of course I'm gonna win. <laughs> he's just a he's a corrupt
1: bastard and he's like enjoys every second of it. But General Urko is like a main, main character. Like he's a star in, in the Tarantino house in Tel Aviv. And so to say the name said constantly, to see him like acting out like entire scenarios, it just did my heart good. It, 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 it like, well, I can't wait to watch this with Leo. I cannot oh, wait yeah. to watch Treachery and Greed on the Planet of the Apes with Leo. And, and in this, uh, uh, he's played by uh, uh, Mark Leonard, who uh, you remember uh, is the guy usually who played uh, Spock's father on the original uh, Star Trek shows, but who steals the show, actually. And by the way, the two astronauts are not just any old guys, okay? So Ron Harper, the last time he showed up in anything was The Soldier, uh, the James Glickenhaus movie that he did after The Exterminator. And he was uh, the guy, I remember he's sitting at the desk and he uh, uh, turns on the lamp and it blows up. That was the last time I think he showed up in something. But before that, he was the star of Garrison's Gorillas. <laughs> Not to be confused with another Planet <laughs> of the Age <Inc> story.
4: <laughs> but gorillas still. <laughs> yeah, still <feel> gorillas of <laughs> the name. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> Look at those gorillas in the name.
1: <laughs> that was the follow-up show that the Somer Productions, the company that did uh, combat, when they were ready to, okay, we're enough with combat, we're going to push Garrison's Gorillas. And it's about a... a a bunch of guys fighting in France uh, uh, Americans fighting in France, and, uh, uh, but they're dressed like French civilians. The thing about Garrison's Guerrillas is, is very similar to Inglorious Bastards. It's the closest thing to Inglorious Bastards, the TV show that there is. And, and, and Bong Ho even told me that because <laughs> Bong Jo used to, it was like, oh yeah, I used to really love the show called Garrison's Guerrillas that they used to play. They wouldn't play it on our television, but they'd play it on the, uh, uh, the army base television. And every once in a while, I was able to get their signal. And there, there was this thing called Garrison's Gorillas. And so he's talking about growing up, and th- that was his favorite TV show. I go, Well, you know, frankly, the format of Garrison's Gorillas is kind of similar to the format of Inglorious Bastards. And he goes, I thought that. <laughs> when I'm watching Inglorious Bastards, I go, This is kind of like <laughs> Garrison's <laughs> Gorillas. <laughs> Anyway, so Rod Harper was the star of that. And James Naughton is not just any old schmo. He is the older brother of David making it Naughton. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a pepper. (laughs) David, I'm a pepper Naughton.
2: (laughs) And James Naughton was uh, classically trained. Did a lot of theater. Graduated from Yale.
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, he plays the suitor in Paul Newman's uh, uh, 80s directed version of The Glass Menagerie.
2: Hmm. Yep.
1: But who steals. Treacher and Green in *The Planet of the Apes* is John Hoyt playing the tyrant gorilla uh, in the uh, in the in part two. He's so good. He's so good at and I like Mark Leonard and I like General Urko. I go, oh, this guy's even better. He and he's 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 killing it. The makeup they did for that show is kind of fantastic because it was interesting how sometimes they're just wearing a beautifully blended mask. But it was really strange how you could kind of tell what the actor looked like on the other side of the mask. I mean-
3: The eyes come through. It's, yeah,
1: that, yeah. it's bizarre how the different shapes of the faces of the different actors molded around the faces of the mask and how it never looked like a generic mask. They started just bleeding into the features of the actual characters. And I mean, even, you know- uh, 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 you know, the uh the guards that would just show up all right and you know have like you know a, a few different lines uh, there was a humanity to them there was a humanity to their line readings, and there was a humanity to the way that like you you, you saw the actor underneath the mask in a strange way.
4: I will review as ape as you should too okay. only ape can review ape can review <laughs> ape only ape can criticize ape here is review. <laughs> Only good movie is ape movie. Only good television is ape television. Good enough to make movie out of two episodes. Director Jack Starlet, not bad human. Jack Starlet, honorary ape. Direct good ape movie. Even human movie Race with the Devil, good. But if with apes, then Race with the Devil, better movie. Devil is human creation. Most feared human to apes. Good movie. Director Ralph Senensky, also not bad human. Make good human television. Apes love Star Trek. Apes love Mission Impossible. And you do a lot of Dan August, too. Apes love Dan August. Apes love Twilight Zone. Apes love Wild Wild West. Ape not like Walton so much. (laughs) Too human for ape. Problem with movie and series are the humans! (laughs) Like watching Starsky and Hutch on Planet of the Apes. Need more apes, less humans. Too much human talking. Too much human freedom. Roddy McDowell as Galen, good, but still wimpy chimpanzee. More gorilla! More Urko needed! Urko have great actor of Star Trek. Not human, but Vulcan. Mark Leonard, great ape. Credit sequence, good. Worthy of apes. John Chambers, makeup of apes. Good makeup. Best makeup. John Chambers, great ape.
2: Yes. (laughs) B
4: for banana.
2: (laughs) It's funny because that was one of the big knocks is that um, why the series didn't take off is not enough apes. So.
1: (laughs) But you know, but also I was just also very excited because you you weren't familiar with the series and you were like five more movies in the planet of the apes what are you talking about no, it, and So you got to and you got to see what you no, got to it see was one. literally
3: like hey we've discovered Göbekli Tepe over here <laughs> it's like this amazing archaeological dig it's like for me this was like a discovery because I had no idea I, I knew that there was the animated series I had watched yeah, the yeah, animated yeah, yeah, yeah. but somehow it just passed me by and you know, I'm,
1: and you have all the, and you have
3: all. I'm the, crazy for apes. I love the uh, Planet of the Apes movies. And, and, yeah. All of them. I like now, the new ones. I like the old ones. And we have two, one, uh, three more to go because you have. Uh... Well, we have
2: two more to go. Two more so to go. So I okay. got yeah. to hunt down the rest. Did you in the first one in the uh, the horse race? I was really taken by the action. Of the actual horse race. Those horses were booking mm. the stunt riders. Well, that's, I thought, well, that's Jack Starrett. He's an action yeah. director. All but right? they were like really, yeah, really yeah. good. And like, at some points I was like kind of scared. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to like hurt themselves they or something. They were pushing those. They were, they, they were yes, racing. They were that was a real it race. It was a occurring. real race. No, they,
1: they, uh, Jack Starrett. you know, he did some uh, episodes of the Star Sting Hedge run that time to too. If, if you're bringing him for that episode, you're bringing him in to do the horse race. Right. Yeah, because he's an action guy. That's why he yeah. knew all the Wranglers, you know. So
2: yeah, was no, like his crazy. team was was spot on. Yeah. And so, that,
1: that, that
3: whole thing really cool. about the wedges in the Oh, uh, in my the God. Did
2: you not cringe and stuff? Yeah. It was, oh, my. You cringed when you heard about it, and then when they were pulling them out. I
3: learned all sorts of things watching this. Yeah. I learned mm. that when you have a scorpion on you, don't move. <laughs> <There> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: That's
3: critical information. I can't believe it took me all these decades <laughs> to uh, learn. Not that I've had to worry but about But you
1: also that. like, you, you like the idea that, oh, this is basically a Western series with apes. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah
3: I, at first I thought a Western, but the more I started watching it, the more I realized, no, this is like Robin Hood with apes. It's more like this, because the the whole feudal dynamics of the world are yeah. less Old West and more mm-hmm. kind of like year 800 to year 1000, mm-hmm. you know, UK, where you've got the Normans mm-hmm. and the Saxons. Mm-hmm. You've got all these Norman kind of landowners mm-hmm. and uh, the, the Saxons who are like, you know, oppressed, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the dynamics between them and you could transplant this, you know, and have Robin Hood or, you know, whoever Mm -hmm. uh, in men in tights, basically running around and the stories you wouldn't have to change that much yeah. other than every time they reference, you know, apes just reference Normans. Mm -hmm.
2: I always um, like this quote I found from James Naughton. Mm-hmm. Who did not really like doing the TV show. He did uh-huh. it. You can kind of tell. You yeah, can kinda, he you wants can to be tell. on Sarsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wanted to be on stage, but um oh, yeah, he probably. did give a, a a good quote, but like from James Naughton. We have the opportunity to make some comments about what is happening in our civilization today. After all, the planet of the apes exists because humans destroyed themselves and their world through nuclear war. And then he also says, also, man is the only primate that makes war on his own kind and for what appears to be pretty lousy reasons. So it, it just it's it's today yeah. too. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. A, right, right, now. right now. Those themes 2023. exist 2023
3: eternally. Yeah.
2: I love it. I just love it. And I do find a slight nuclear theme going through the three oh, movies. Because three. you can say, like, Cold the Cold War. sure, yeah, sure. Yes, sure. yes. Here at the Planet of the Apes, the, you know, the humans, nuclear exploded themselves, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh,
4: there you are.
1: It's getting easier for me to remember your arrival. Oh, I do so look forward to
4: our visits. Yeah, much more than I looked forward to helping our astronaut friends. Well, at the risk of my very own life, I might add. Burke and Verdon captured their precious computer disk stolen and Erko on our trail. Goodness, I. Just, oh. And then, when we least expected that, uh, well, uh, I had
3: never seen such treachery and greed on the planet of the apes. Oh. And we're back, and uh, we're here with my daughter, Gala.
0: I have arrived. Okay, so you answered the why. Of why this? Because I saw it and I was like, what? Why? <laughs> it's like there's five of these TV movies put together, but like why the third one? And so okay, that question was kind of answered for me and hopefully for everyone at home because I'm guessing that when you see... The name Treachery and Greed on the Planet of the Apes, you too will be scratching your head like I was at home. Well, Quentin Quentin, Hyde pointed out to me,
3: one episode is about treachery, the other one's about greed. Actually, you pointed it out to me, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought that was very
1: smart. When it was all over with, I just thought they were co-titled. No, actually, one is about treachery and one is about greed. You are correct, sir.
0: So I was like really stressed trying to find this because I'm like, I have to watch this. It's like, Julie's coming in. I can't not watch the Planet of the Apes movie that they watch. No, I can't find this. This is really oh. frustrating. Couldn't find it. I don't think it exists on the internet as a movie. Um, I don't even know if it exists on VHS. I tried to find the individual episodes. Unless on, you taped
1: it off of TNT they, when they show exactly. them. exactly. Yeah.
0: But I did find the entire series on the Internet Archive. And so what did I do? I didn't just watch the two episodes. I watched the entire show. No, Whoa. you watched the entire
5: series. Oh, wow. Yes. That's so, dedication. That's
0: cool. I can't. Did come you in. like the series? You know what? I have a few problems with it. It's fun. Roger will tell you I kind of like, what is that show? Bigfoot and oh, Wild yeah, Boy.
3: What? Bigfoot and Wild Boy? I really like Bigfoot yeah, and Wild Boy, yeah.
0: which oh, is like nothing similar to this. Yeah, I, yeah. It makes me feel <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> so as Julie kind of mentioned, okay, there's five movies they each take two episodes from the show and they mash them together. Um, Back to the Planet of the Apes has Episode 1, which is Escape from Tomorrow, and Episode 3, which Urko gets Mm, trapped. It's called The Trap. Um, Movie 2 is The Forgotten City of the Planet of the Apes, which has The Gladiators, which Quentin That's the William Smith one. Which Uh is Episode 2, mixed with Episode 5, which is called The Legacy. And then the uh, the movie that we watched today, which is Episode 9, The Horse Race, and Episode 11, The Tyrant. Fourth one is Life, Liberty, and Pursuit on the Planet of the Apes. Wow. Great, the best title of, of all the Planet of the Apes movies. of all <laughs> the Planet of the Apes the best title. Which of is all the best title, which is Episode 7, The Surgeon, and Episode 10, The Interrogation, which are like two of the stronger episodes, I would say. And then the fifth movie is Farewell to the Planet of the Apes with Episode 6, Tomorrow's Tide, and Episode 14, Up Above the World So High. Okay, so they leave out a few episodes in these movie mashups. And they're the really good episodes,
5: yeah. which really made me kind of like upset because
0: if I hadn't of de- like I was gonna say like oh well maybe I should just skip the episodes that aren't in these movies and I was like no I should dedicate myself to like the full experience of like what would it have been like to watch this I mean you would have had to watch it weekly I wouldn't have gotten it all at once but you injected. watched it sequentially you were able to I binge watched it. I binged it yeah. I binged <laughs> Planet of the Apes you did it I did that on purpose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> take him to the
0: showers. Wire brush him. Oh, <laughs> I know. The, the clock of orange. The clock of orange. No, by... like silkwood. Uh, yeah, silkwood yeah, shower.
3: He wants me uh, oh. to take the radioactive particles off of me.
0: The best episode of the show, in my opinion, is episode eight, which is called The Deception. Um, it is an episode where they come across a blind female monkey whose father was killed by humans, and she falls in love with one of the human guys, not knowing oh, that he's a see. human yeah. because he reads to her. And that's mm. the one thing that she really misses is reading. And it's a really touching episode and also features the version of the Ku Klux Klan mm. in Planet of the Apes. There's like a, and they wear Klan? hoods.
1: Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And they chase humans. And An ape version of the Ku Klux Klan? Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: And it's fascinating. And then it reveals, though, that um, this Ku Klux Klan of apes actually did kill her father. It wasn't uh, humans, humans that did it. So there is ape-on-ape ape violence in this world. and it's, are it's, not kill ape. Yeah. It's a very, very yeah. touching... Uh, story And then um, episode 13 is kind of cool, too. It uh, features like this little neighborhood that's run by humans and they have like a sacrificial altar, but it's really a gas mask and all this stuff. But it, it, there's a lot of really cool stuff that the show I, does. I, lo-
1: I love the trap one. I love the one where Erko yeah, and, tra- and, 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 and James and, get. And the
0: reveal of what Erko sees is really cool because he carries it with him yeah. at the end and uh-huh. he's about to pull it out to show him. And then the human's like, yeah, I know. I know about that. And that's when Erko decides I have to attack him. And I have to pursue these guys. Because these guys are going to put me back in a cage. Mm
5: -hmm. And it
0: kind of sets up Erko's whole thing. Now, I agree with that ape review. (laughs) that the problem with the show <laughs> is that there's too many humans. Too much starskin hatch. Hutch? Yeah, these guys are really freaking annoying. I'm sorry, but, like, they really How grow. casual they are about their
3: situation and Wait, wandering through this so, crazy world that they're in. The first
0: episode, like, they crash, and one of their co-pilots is dead. Mm-hmm. And then, like, for the next few episodes, they're kind of trying to, like, get wiring and stuff to, like, redo stuff, and they go to, like, a machine that, like, has information about the past and stuff. And then by the end of the series, like, There's none of that. (laughs) They're just like going around making windmills and stuff. But they're so annoying. And my problem is that Galen, like McDowell is amazing as always. I mean, we don't even have to say how good he is acting this. But his whole thing is like, oh, I believe that humans and apes should be equal. Like, we're equal. We're equal. Okay, no, these two human guys that you're with do not believe that at all. <laughs> they think that they're superior.
3: And. Yeah, Galen's wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> at the first, Poor
3: Galen, he's like an idealist. And, and he's hooked
0: up with these two, like. That's the problem. At the first chance these humans get, they will put him back in a cage. And mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly believe that. And you can kind of see them, like, starting to, like, get more disgruntled with him as the show goes on because he has to pretend to, like, be their master and, like, they're his slaves. Mm-hmm. And they're just, like, sick of it. They're like, well, we know how to make windmills and, like, we know how to do this and like, we know how to do that. And it's just, so, they're so annoying. Every chance they get, it's, like, no, no, yeah. we're well, no, superior. No,
1: no, even the horse race, they go, well, because you've never seen a human uh, jockey before. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that, that was the Urko voice. But that's, James, not well, it's because you've never seen a human jockey before. We're the ones that know how to horse ride. Yeah. I grew,
3: I grew up on horses. Like, yeah, you know, I grew like, up on as horses. As if he should know that. But also, they also does the, the thing
1: that I always like hated when I was a kid, where they made it pretty obvious that they considered Ron Harper, the blonde guy, to be the macho one of the group, and the other guy's the pretty boy. So, so every action always has to do with Ron Harper. Yeah. It's always going to be him... Riding the horse. It's amazing that they, that James Naughton gets like maybe one of the best episodes that an uh, astronaut gets in the the one with him and Urko.
0: Yeah, that is surprising that they didn't switch the roles kind of and put him down there.
1: Okay, well, the other, here's the other thing that's a problem with it. Just to make Ron Harper seem more macho, they make it so like that the humans can fight against the apes. And like you see the humans win battles, win fistfights with gorillas. And it's just, you don't, doesn't make any sense. It makes whatsoever. no sense
3: at all. In, in fact, th- what this did do that I hadn't seen in any of the other in these earlier mm-hmm. eight movies, the actual theatrical ones, mm-hmm. was there's a moment where there's like a raid on the village yeah, or yeah, whatever uh-huh. and all the ape there's chaos everywhere. And suddenly I think it's Galen jumps and you see him yeah. like jump like <laughs> oh, yeah. and they did like this kind of uh, yeah, yeah, springboard the spell, and yeah. he goes flying up onto this rooftop. And I was like, "Oh my God, that's right! Yeah, like that's right. They, they're, they're these are apes, man. They, yeah. they're super strong. Mm-hmm. they
0: and yeah, they kind of like de-strengthen the apes. And the the Burnett guy who doesn't mm-hmm. ever get any like not, physical not, action, not, not. not in, he does this thing though every now and then in an episode. I think it happens twice where he jumps up and like kicks the ape in the back. Oh yeah, he yeah, yeah, like, loves yeah. doing that <laughs>
3: little jump kick. <laughs> no, he has a
1: little <laughs> jump kick. No, no, I've, I've got it's a, like his I got a, a, a <laughs> bubblegum card of him doing that jump kick. He right, yeah, yeah, must yeah. have
3: like known how to do that jump kick, and they're like do that jump kick again. I don't
0: know. But yeah, my problem is just like, the human guys are so annoying and Galen's like, oh, these are my friends. We're equals. And it's like, clearly they, like, you might think, oh, we're equal. No, these guys think you're a freaking monkey. They're going to put you in a cage first chance. And then also, Galen is always saying, oh, my friends don't lie. Every single episode, these guys tell a lie. Every single one. It is so annoying. And like, every episode, Galen's like, oh, my friends don't lie. And by the way, he does know everyone. Every episode, he's like, oh, I know that guy. Okay, it's like so it is the, like After getting stung by the scorpion, he's like, oh, hello, I'm here, and I know that person. So Gala
4: knows that
0: apes rule. I know that apes rule. Less humans. Yeah, m- and more apes. More
3: apes. Gala, you remember when uh, you were little and- Small. I, uh, small. Uh, well, when you were a, a young child. Yes. And I used to play ape on the
0: loose. Yes, I think we brought this up actually once so far on the podcast, Did maybe. We? But this is the reason why I don't like monkey movies. What?
3: Well, you're not uh... My dad
0: does a really good imitation of a gorilla. I scared you. And he used to Yeah, he's going to start doing it right now. And he Well, oh, that's good. Yeah. And he used to change <laughs> uh, but he used to chase me around the house doing that <laughs> and he still does it every now and then like, it, <laughs> to just scary. No, no. but like in hotels we'll be in a hotel <laughs> oh, we start no! up and yeah, we're in the hallway, and you, and you, the hallway yes, kind of like run a like hand, a monkey yeah. sometimes like <laughs> you're in the car like if I bring it up oh, you're, trapped the the yeah, yeah, you're trapped in a car you're h- trapped h- in a car with an ape trapped in the car
3: with yeah. an ape it's terrifying just one
0: of the many things that my dad would do that brings me extreme joy as an adult you're not gonna come to ape month if we do that at the new Beverly like
2: monkeys and apes and everyone Movies kind of like
0: <laughs> Shockma and like what other ones? Uh,
3: um, Gorillas in the Mist,
0: Horse Race, as Ape said, directed by Jack Starrett. Um, also Cleopatra Jones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, and also Slaughter. So that episode, I think, has some of like the better action and also better camera work. Yeah, yeah. Um, they use really good, like just on the close ups and stuff, and um, The Tyrant. Um, Ralph Sinesky, besides all of his TV, I mean, he also did that. I don't know if you guys have seen it, the TV movie Death Cruise.
1: Yeah. Oh,
5: uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. he did that
0: one. I actually really enjoy that but one. But Richard Long and That's yeah, Br- Bergen. Yeah, that's a good, uh, yeah, 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 Who That's a good whodunit with a really good twist available on YouTube if you want to watch it. Edward Albert. Yeah. Yeah. It's, fu- it's a fun and one. And Kate
1: Jackson, yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, The Tyrant, The Tyrant's also surprisingly, like, one of those episodes, besides the, um, the one with the blind ape, I found it, like, a little touching because mm. the gorilla in question really is a dynamic character. He's a great character. He's and such it's a great like character. And it's like you find out that like he hasn't been able to rise up because he cheated and mm. it's been 20 years, but now he's resorted to cheating. And I didn't realize that um, Ralph Sineski did Star Trek. Mm. It makes so much sense though because that feels like it could be a Klingon storyline.
3: Oh, completely. Yeah, 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 like
0: yeah, yeah. 100% that could be a cl- And I think well, there, a there even is a lot Klingon- of
3: television, like a lot mm. of it is, I mean, I don't want to say it's interchangeable, but like a lot of these scripts are like, true classical television screenwriting, episodic television Mm -hmm. at its finest. And really good, like Gene Roddenberry would tell you, uh, you know, Star Trek's not about phasers. It's not about the spaceship. That could have been on a submarine.
2: Did you guys, um, I went down the rabbit hole, um, Rod Serling uh, wrote like, Episode one and Episode two that never got shot of the TV series. Oh, I didn't and really. I, yeah. yeah, I found the scripts online. I'm going. To, yeah, I'm going to read them. I'm like really curious. Mm-hmm. So, well, he was involved with in the, the first movies. Movie.
1: It's Paul Dean, all right, the guy who later wrote the uh, uh, Murder on the Orient Express uh, screenplay. Oh, uh, nice. uh, he's screenplay. the yeah, he's the architect of the movies, all right, and he's the one that like really kills it with a. a, a Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Ugh. you know, and, uh, yeah, but he's really is kind of the architect of uh, w- the way the, the movies went.
0: Anyway, I had an interesting time watching the show. You really have to dig for it online. It's really difficult to find. So if people are able to wiggle their way through the algorithm and through the search engines well, it, it and find also, it. It also
1: existed a long time ago on DVD, you know? Oh, yeah, it's
2: on DVD. Yeah. And I, yeah, I looked yesterday and you can still buy it. Actually, cheaper than when we bought our copies. Oh, I think okay. we yeah, paid yeah. over $100 for this series. And I think there were $45, $50 online now. Yeah.
0: Fantastic.
4: Good evening and welcome to Cinema 17. Tonight, two American astronauts escape death and crash in a strange lab. Uh, we landed somewhere. Could be Earth. Earth, yes, but 1,000 years in the future. Yeah, well, we could land it in a worse place, I'll tell you that. Ah! 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 Those worries. What kind of planet is this? Return back to the Planet of the Apes. Coming up next on PHL 17.
1: Okay, let's hand out some awards. Here we go. I think when it comes to lead performances here, (laughs) we don't uh, have that strong of a competition. So uh, uh, I'm going with uh, George Siegel. Uh, for uh, best lead actor and I'm going with senta Berger for best lead actress for the Quiller Memorandum.
0: I'm going to go with McDowell.
3: Yeah, I'm going with McDowell also. Mostly for that one scene. Yeah, that, yeah. Being I, on I, television. I, and for that scene to you know, like to have such gravitas between these two he, actors. I'm not giving you he any also, argument about McDowell. No, he I also
0: know. plays both Galen in that second episode and I think the the monkey that he's pretending to be is Augustus. Yes, I think uh, that's yeah. the name of the assistant. And he does a really good job differentiating between the two within the same makeup.
3: Octavian.
4: <laughs> Octavian. Octavius. Yeah,
0: there you go. Yeah,
3: yeah I'm going to go with uh, Santa Burger for female lead. I, I like Santa Burger in it.
0: I think Santa Burger is like kind of our only choice. Yeah.
3: Right? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. You can always go with. Um, well, I
0: guess there's a female lead in Road yeah, Dan, maybe
3: Yumi Shirakawa. Yeah, the the, da- the
1: daughter of the older guy yeah. that died.
3: The, uh, I guess yeah, she's a lead. Shigeru's love interest in it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, let's see. There's also well, that's, that's no, no,
2: no. I'm gonna go, I'm it. going with the with the girl in the Quiller Memorandum. Santa
3: yes. Burger.
2: George Segal, because he's near and dear to my heart, and uh, Santa Burger. Okay. She was also when when women had tails, right? Yeah, she yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, she's that's the girl. how yeah. I know her. So it was like, actually, nice to see her in, in, in a completely different. Yeah, and she's role. <laughs> a, yeah, she's
1: she's in Cross of Iron. She's oh, yeah, in uh, Major Dundee. I went to go check. I f- felt I was wrong. I did not think that John Hoyt was the gorilla uh, in the Tyrant. He's not. All right, he is who I thought he was. He was the he's the kindly prefect in the first episode, oh, you know, the, the guy who oh, was he's, in
3: the first episode.
2: Yeah. He's great. Yeah. I liked and, his, I liked know. his
1: character too. And he, he, he hires the uh, father and son at yeah. the end. Yeah. The actual guy who plays General uh, Aboro is actually a fantastic black actor named Percy Rodriguez, Mm. who you've seen a bunch of things, but you know his voice. That's why I was like so taken with his voice. Percy Rodriguez had one of those great voices that he also did a lot of uh, movie trailers Mm. narration. And he's famous for, he did the trailer narration for uh, Rolling Thunder. There's a storm brewing inside this man. (laughs) And it's going to explode. (laughs) From the author of Taxi Driver, Paul Schrader, comes a new excitement and rolling terror. Rolling thunder. Best supporting actor. There's not really an actress in this one. All right. uh, Best supporting actor. Absolutely. Percy
3: Rodriguez. I would be willing to go there. Except I was kind of already set on Alec Guinness yeah, I, oh, his, I
2: was thinking Alec Guinness now I'm having an internal no, no, discussion no, you're, you're
3: allowed to, <laughs> you're, allowed allowed to you side, you're allowed to come over to the dark side <laughs> yeah. and side with me
2: <laughs> like, listen yeah. I'll tell you one thing I am um, team uh, Avery when it comes to Moonraker I just wa- <laughs> I wanted to yeah! put that out there Brandeis, so, so I am on your team sometimes <laughs> a Moonraker mention has been made
3: <laughs> oh you just you just made my Did day I? you have no idea I feel so warm (laughs) It just makes me want to talk more about Moonraker in this episode. Let's. uh...
0: (laughs) So I was kind of debating about Max von Sydow, but thinking about what made the Planet of the Apes show good, specifically this movie, I think is partially that performance in The Tyrant because it's a tortured performance. Yeah. So I'm going to have to give it to him. You said his name is Percy? Uh, Percy Rodriguez. Percy yeah. Rodriguez. And there
1: is a special, and it, it is really exciting when him and Erko actually, midway through, actually have a scene together. Oh, wow, look at them together. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was really good. And I, Max, one side out, the interrogation scene in the Quiller Memorandum is probably my favorite part because it gets so intense right there. Mm-hmm. But when you're acting in all that makeup and also just, it's a great job.
3: Yeah, acting through that makeup also, yeah. yeah to 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 express yourself through all of that. Prosthetics.
2: I agree. And I'll I also say like, you know, Max von Snyder and um, Alec Guinness, they had Harold Pinter's screenplay to work with. So I'm switched in my mind. I'm going to Percy Rodriguez. So I <laughs> no, And and I got to be loyal to my apes. So. Yeah. Apes
3: must rule.
2: Must rule. Ape world, sweep. There you go. Apes
0: Ape sweep. sweep. Ape sweep is <laughs> for this every character. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. The monkey. (laughs) How about screenplay?
1: Yeah, I uh, I give it to Rodan. As much as I like the Harold Pinter screenplay, um, I like the roundaboutness that the story went and how it got to where it was going. But uh, I do think it flags at a certain point where... uh, uh, Rodan never flags. Rodan just gets better and better and better as it goes on.
3: I'm with Rodan as well. I'm 100% with Rodan. I uh what I like about Pinter is mostly the the uh innuendos that are constantly yeah, uh-huh. occurring between men.
2: <laughs> yeah, well I, I like the wit of Harold Pinter I, it, it is with Rodan.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, you know what, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't even really, like, like the Quiller Memorandum that much. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna like, give best screenplay to the Quiller Memorandum, just because I really liked the whole cigarette thing, and like yeah. how that dialogue evolves, and I thought the dialogue was really smart in it, um, but I, yeah, I, I, I definitely enjoyed Rodan more, and definitely liked Rodan more, mm-hmm. um, but yeah.
1: To me, director is Sarah Honda. <sighs>
3: Well, I'm going to give it to Honda also, although Michael Anderson, for me, is, there's Wait, something- This is not
0: a Lifetime Achievement Award. This is a movie, I, I agree. a single that's, movie. That's,
3: you're Damn. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're We're right. not giving it for Logan's well, Run. both of these men could receive yeah, Lifetime Achievement Awards. but we're not awards. giving
0: it for Logan's Run, Dad.
3: <laughs> what about Orca?
0: We're not giving it for Orca. <laughs> that's another that will be, I mean, another
1: we do,
3: And we will do Orca. That's a promise. That's cool. a promise. I don't know. There's just something about that, the craftsmanship of British filmmaking at its peak.
1: Well, I actually would not mind watching because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I would not mind watching Around the World in 80 Days mm. again. I haven't seen it since I was a little boy. Yeah.
0: You know, though, you did bring up a really good thing with Michael Anderson about the whole, like, the the, the Mercedes building pulling out and having well, him doing the salute against the glass. I mean, I, th- and- I
3: think he's doing a kind of thematic mise-en-scene in a way that Honda is just delivering. Honda's just delivering the the goods. As efficiently and greatly as possible. You're watching buildings blow up and all that stuff. But Michael Anderson, he's working on a thematic level that's, he's encoding his film visually in a way that is, uh, that I think he has to do, that Honda doesn't have to do because he can play everything straight. Yeah.
2: For me, Best Director goes to, and it goes back to what we had at Video Archives. We all had a a, a passion for watching movies, you all for making movies to the new Beverly where there's a passion. We love showing movies. We yeah. love watching movies. Cheryl Honda loves making movies and his passion and his crew's passion and his cast's passion shows 110% on that beautiful IB Technicolor print. Yeah. Yeah. It's Honda and there's no question.
3: And and he's making the movie for the people. He's making movies for the people in the seats, staring at the screen, flicker, looking at it like an insect, you mm-hmm. know, uh, just yeah. watching that magic on screen. Magic.
1: Movie magic. Okay. Uh, uh, and I think, uh, dare I say, okay, yeah, uh, Rodan, best film.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, mean, I mean, there, there's, there's actually there's a actually... silence
0: because we're confused as to, like, what other choices. Well, my, my, fir- my
3: first thought was, okay, <laughs> it's absolutely better than the Quiller Memorandum. but then I'm like, well, treachery and greed on Planet of the Apes. Is it fair like I was I was going I was actually considering trying to like distill it down like look this is a, like a lightweight competing against a heavyweight.
1: There's and- nothing wrong with us actually having a classic or two in our lineup. Honestly
0: <laughs> honestly when you if you were going to put Rodan up against the Planet of the Apes movies it's like this is not the one to put it up no, against. No I agree.
3: <laughs> 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 Thank you fine. <daughter. laughs>
0: Thank you for having
2: said that, <laughs> Christine Rodriguez ate apples off the heads. <laughs> just because Rodan is clearly the best, it doesn't mean the others are bad. No, no they're no, just no. the are best.
1: No, it's just Rodan exists in a level of classic, all right. 100%, you know, yes. back at a time when the guy was just making three classics a fucking year. Yeah.
0: Crazy with all that work. Yeah, yeah, you know? Um, for the planet, I'm just curious, for the Planet of the Ape episode. Did they just like mash them together? Like, is there any narration or anything? Because I heard that the last one Mm -hmm. has uh mcdowell's character galen like doing a narration no, like, well that would through... make
1: sense he would be the one that if they were going to tie it like
0: reminiscing in, they, they do they, they, they do that yeah
1: it would be easy enough for him to uh, narrate the entire thing if they wanted to go that way i guess they didn't want to pay roddy that kind I of money i think i
0: filmed it actually too filmed yeah part of it i, I just heard for the, the last yeah i heard yeah. That for the last one they did do that so i was surprised that for the third one they no, didn't
1: I, I, you can tell uh, since like you know uh, the apes are giving uh, michael conrad and his son a hard time and the, the astronauts are hiding in the, uh, the roof. You could tell that there was a whole thing where like they came up, hey! You know, they came up to the farm, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? And, oh, hey, here come the apes. Okay, hide, hide, hide. <laughs> yeah, so the whole setup was just cut out just to get right into the action.
3: I would like to create a award, uh, an award called Best Title Sequence, and I want to give that to Treachery and Greed on Planet okay, Earth yeah, because yeah. that yeah. title sequence was like something out of Saul Bass. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That, yeah. You know, That's cool. it had it had such a great no. As a matter of movie. fact, no. As a matter of fact, that they
1: were able to take the TV series title sequence and so and you know, because it was Fox doing it they didn't give it to some you know local TV station to do it uh, they were able to really do it well yeah all right and really you know tie tie the feature credits into it really well
3: like with with that that Planet of the Apes music that yeah, yeah. kind of crazy yeah, yeah. I don't know clanking pans music and yeah and uh, you know, just uh, the, the silhouettes the, the yeah, gorilla's holding ends, the, the rifle the yeah, automatic in the air rifle. on his own horseback in, in front of a giant sun yeah, 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 and, yeah, and, yeah it was like, amazing all of that that kind of lithographic filmmaking yeah. being done, it, like, just look amazing. Yeah. I was so yeah. amped yeah. to yeah. watch a Planet of the Apes oh, movie. Yeah. And the
1: way they disfetishize the you know the gorilla soldiers, you know that that silhouette yeah. is the silhouette that they keep choosing to. Awesome,
4: oh, best silhouette ever, <laughs> ape
1: silhouette. <laughs> well, that brings us to an end of another exciting chapter. We want to thank our fellow employee Julie McLean.
2: Ooh, thank you all oh, so much Julie. Appreciate y'all Now
3: if you could just put all these tapes away
2: <laughs> Actually I still love filing tapes That was going to be one of my questions yeah. to quit And I'm like oh you need any of these tapes filed away Because I saw a lot downstairs <laughs>
1: <laughs> And I want to thank our Co-host uh, uh, Gala Raquel Avery And Roger Tiberius Avery <laughs> Apes
0: <laughs> Thank you Quentin
5: Wednesday's Child a child of woe, Wednesday's child cries alone. I know.
0: The Video Archives when- podcast is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery, and produced by Josh Richmond and Gala Avery, with executive producers Colin Anderson and Natalie Mualam. Our engineers are Alex Gonzalez and Casey Holford. Find out more about the show and get Video Archives merch at videoarchivespodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Archives and on Instagram at videoarchivespod. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you, guys. From the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, Every Thursday, for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts.